In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. With God's help, we just finished a series of talks, talk 70, 71, 72, 73, 74, 75, and 76, and 77, I think. Let me just check. 77. All on the upbringing of children. And I said to you at the last talk, the second last and the last talk, basically, even if I didn't do the other talks, if people follow what's been said in those two talks about prayer, asking God for discernment to bring your children enlightenment, then really what more is there to know? Of course, we still study, make an effort so God can see your effort. You don't just sit on your lounge chair and just hope that you'll be enlightened, but you've got to make efforts, and efforts mean making mistakes. You try that with your child, and you try that, it fails, and you try again, Sometimes you might make mistakes on one thing for two, three years until finally you understand the right way. So why does God allow you to fall and make mistakes for, say, three years? Because those making of mistakes helps you to come to the stage where he can enlighten you and you can understand. Sometimes you get hopeless and frustrated and then you pray more, you make mistakes, then you repent. That prepares the heart for when the time comes. But if you make no attempt, then he will not enlighten you. He will not bring someone along or he won't bring a book to you which will have the answer or come to a talk with the answer. See, some people come to these talks and they say, oh, they're very, very good, but they don't do anything about it. They don't change. Why? because not really struggling. They either think they know everything, some parents are like that, I know everything, I know, or others are slack and lazy. God cannot help those people. And when you read the lives of saints, you'll see that you don't just study their miracles and their wonders that they did, but we have to know that in their early life, like Elder Paisus as well, he made many mistakes and he admits he made mistakes and they fell into little deceptions and big deceptions and all that helped them to come to a realisation of the truth. So that's important. My intention was to do another two, three talks on the upbringing of children and I wanted to focus on the damage that TV does to children when they watch it, especially from very young. Childcare, the damage that does. 
When you send a child to school too early, like four and a half, etc., even five, six, even that's too, all too early, but it's worse when it's four and a half. A principal said, you can see, he was a principal for many years, he said, you can see the difference between a four and a half when they start and a five-year-old. Even that six months makes a difference. And he believes that that six months makes a difference for the four and a half-year-old to basically be a failure and have a defeatist attitude like, oh, what's the point? And they don't do very well academically, etc. Even six months. The law in Australia is six years old, or in New South Wales, six years old. I don't know why they are in other countries. As I said, the Russian catacomb saints during the Soviet times were telling the Orthodox Christians, hold your child back, because it was the law you had to send your kid to school back in those days in the Soviet Union. And they said, keep them up to at least eight, because by eight years old, they're baked. And whatever propaganda and brainwashing they go through, it's very difficult for them to change. But when you send a child four and a half, five, six, they don't even know whether Donald Duck is real, is it not real. They don't know reality from fantasy. They don't know. That's why the church says that children start confessing from around seven to eight. Because from seven to eight, depending on their maturity, that's when they begin to understand right from wrong and, and be responsible for their sins. Now, I decided not to do those talks because, one, what do I have to say? I mean, watching TV, just to say one thing, secular, not spiritual, secular. I think it was the University of Sydney, they did their works there and found that children that watch TV under two, that their brains are damaged from the lights, etc. They're damaged like someone who's got brain damage. And even these health world people, health organisers, whatever, they're actually saying that children should not watch TV under two. At least they've got to two years old. Probably in years to come, they'll go up higher because they'll notice it still damages them. It may not damage them in their brains as much because they're older, but they damaged spiritually, psychologically, emotionally. What do I have to do? Do I have to do a whole talk and go through the research and this saint said this and that saint said that and this and that? That's it. Whoever's got ears to hear, let them hear. You don't believe me? Then pray. Ask God for enlightenment with sincerity. The other thing about childcare... I read you for seven, talk 70, 71, the importance of the mother to bond to the child, for the child to develop and how they become disturbed when they grow up, etc., etc. Do you, while you're at work or when you're at home having coffee with your friends, can you be there at the childcare? And I have contact now with childcare workers and they tell me the children, a lot of them are disturbed, they cry, they're upset, where's mummy, this and that, so... What more? Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear, as Christ said. They don't listen to Moses and the prophets like the rich man and Lazarus was at his gate and he didn't give him anything, not even scraps, nothing. Moreover, the dogs had more compassion on Lazarus and licked his wounds. 
and the fat rich man was walking out every day and saw him, didn't care. And then he died. And he went to hell, to Hades. Because hell's after the last judgment. He went to Hades and he was suffering. And he saw Lazarus in the arms of Abraham. And he realised what he did wrong. And then he said to Abraham, if I remember correctly, let me, let me go back to earth so I can warn my brothers about this place. And Abraham said, as he was holding Lazarus, meaning he was in heaven, Lazarus, enjoying that. And Abraham, why Abraham? Why didn't he pick one of the other prophets? Why did Christ choose in the parable Abraham? Because Abraham was, in Greek, philoxenos, which means he was compassionate. He used to feed poor people and, and visitors and things like that. He was um, merciful. That's why Christ on purpose said Abraham to hit the rich man of what he did. And then Abraham said to him, they have the law and the prophets. They have Moses, because Christ was talking back in the Old Testament way. They have the law, and they've got the prophets, they've got Moses. If they don't listen to them when they go to the synagogue, and they listen to the law and all these books being read, if they're not going to listen to them, then why would they listen if someone rose from the dead and spoke to them? Why? And there's another part, I don't know if it was the same part, but another part where Christ said something, and then he said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Whoever is spiritually proper, inclined, wants to know the truth, let them hear. As for the rest, doesn't matter what words you say, they will be deaf to it. People say, oh, if only there was more miracles, people would become orthodox or come back to the church or Christianity. But we have the, one of the biggest miracles, the holy light, the holy fire in Jerusalem on Great Saturday when the Greek patriarch goes in after he's been searched for matches and after the police, the, the Israeli police, search the tomb And he goes in, they close the doors. But I noticed in um, a video that I watched that one of the heretic, the heretical bishops, the Coptic or the other one, the Armenian, I'm not sure, someone went in with him to witness, to look. And he kneels at the, at the tomb of Christ, does some prayers, and suddenly this bluish light, or sometimes it changes, starts to form like a mist on the tomb and suddenly the 33 candles has got on two hands, one 33 and one 33 and catch light. Meanwhile, the people outside are waiting for him to bring the light out. But what happens is, now that they've got cameras, they're capturing it better, they're noticing outside light like lightning and the oil lamps that some in, in the holy sepulchre are lighting on their own. And people's candles that are holding 33 as well, some of them it lights on their own, even before the patriarch comes out. There's this like lightning in the, in the church. 
and he comes out of the tomb and he gives the light to people and everyone's uh, rejoicing and they're putting the fire on their face, on their beads. It doesn't burn for quite a few minutes, 10 minutes, I don't even know. And you can see them in the video where they're putting it on their face. 33 candles. You, if I just put my hand on that one, I'm going to burn. 33. There's these big flames. The Catholics, they don't participate, but they're there in their little corners. But the Coptics do participate, and the Armenians, it's just some rule they got there in Jerusalem. Not in actually as liturgical, but they are allowed to take the light. So, why don't they change? Where's the argument? If we only had miracles, the Israeli police that are there, do they change? No. Okay, well, they're Jewish. It's harder for them, maybe, because they hate Christ. But the Armenians say they believe in Christ. The Coptics say they believe in Christ. The Catholics say they believe in Christ. And yet, have you ever heard for them to change? No. No. So don't say this stupidity is that I have more miracles and in the apostles' days there was all these miracles. We just read the life of St. George whose feast we had a few days ago and it says all these great miracles. If something like that happened in our days, so many people would change. Don't fool yourself. So I'm not going to do those talks. Maybe I might do them in the future. I don't know. I don't think so because I've said enough. I was going to do a talk dedicated also to how bad it is to send your child to heterodox schools like Catholic, Protestants. That's very bad. Very, very bad. I say it in every talk. So I'll give you a story and let's move on. So a woman heard my talks from somewhere around the place. Somewhere in the world, so they heard the talk. And we had some contact and we got to the stage where... I asked her what school she went to and this and that, and she went to a Catholic school. I said, oh, that's no good. Did you commune? She goes, I think so. I'm not sure. Did you do your cross-Catholic way? Yes. Did you, did you listen to their, the teachings? Yes, yes, yes. I said, oh, you've got to be cremated because you've denied your faith. I said, go to the priest, but a lot of priests don't believe in that, even though it's part of the, you see it in tradition, like people who, are, who fell away from the church, would be chrismated so they can come back in. They don't, you don't get rebaptized, get baptized once, but you become chrismated because you lose the Holy Spirit and the chrismation, when they put the oil after the baby's baptized or the, or the adult, it's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And she went to the priest, which was quite amazing. He said, okay, I'll, I'll do that for you. And he did it. And I was quite surprised. And he wasn't even Greek, he was a Slavic priest. And they're really against it, a lot of them. They just don't understand it. And then some months later, she rings up and she said, um, oh, can, you know, can I have your prayers for? What for? I go, well, um, you know, even though my child, my son is very young, he's um, one year old or something, I've got to start to enrol him because sometimes it's very hard to get into school. I go, what school? Because state schools you don't need to enroll from when they're young. I go, which school? I'm going I'm to send them to the school I went to. Oh, okay. I thought, well, she went to a Catholic. She wouldn't be saying that because she was just chrismated. She must have went to a state school as well when she was young. Must be she went to both. I go, which school is that? She goes, the Catholic school I went to. 
And I said, but didn't you just get cremated for that? Didn't you just get cremated? So why would you send your child to the same school that, that will do the same things as you? They'll be doing their cross wrong. They'll be going to their churches. They learn their teachings. And she was just speechless. And I said, look, um, if you persist to do that, don't ring again. She never rang again, which probably means she's going. But why would this? That's what I'm saying. I could do a whole talk for four hours on just on heterodox schools. What the saints say, what this says, what that say. If there's no prayer, if there's no sincerity, if there's not proper struggle, her orthodoxy was what fasting, that she kept the fast. Her husband, that he kept the fast. The oils, you know, oils aren't oils. That's the uh, the Caltex commercial. I call them the Caltex orthodox. Because they just, everything's to do with the oils. This day you have oil. Up to that time you can have oil. But after that you can't have oil. How about peanut oil? Now some classify that as oil. But Manathos say it's not. Sesame seed, like tahini. Tahini, some monasteries have it on Friday, which is strictly no oil. Because they don't count it as oil. You can have as much tahini as you want. After that you're going to still be hungry. But you have some nice olive oil, you're not going to be hungry. That's why the Greeks, they're not hungry because they have their olive oil. They got through the war and everything just with that oil in the villages. Oil and endives and herbs from the mountains, horta, as they say. My mother said, that's all we ate. We didn't even have bread because the Germans took the wheat. All they had was they hid some oil and the horta. And when they didn't have oil, because the Germans took that as well, they said all we had was the horta, the herbs, the um, endives. So that's what her life was, the oils. So I'm not doing oil on the TV. It's obvious. There's lots of research. You don't even need to be spiritual. And there is a lot of spiritual references to the TV. A lot of saints say it. Keep your child away from the TV. The internet. What's it? Everyone knows that. It just knows. It's just become an epidemic now. It's like a disease. And children playing computer games and it's gone crazy. And even women are saying, my husband, how old is he? I'm oh, 45. What's he doing? Playing computer games all night. When they ask me, how many children do you got? She's got two. I say three. The two children and my husband, because he's a child as well. So there's no point in talking about early school there's no point in talking about the TV, breast milk, all those things. All can be found in the secular, in the worldly literature. But they, their ages are a bit lower. Well, the breast milk was good. The, health, the world health said up to seven is even good. But, of course, not many can do that. But five, St. Paisa used to say five, six would be good. So there's no point. So I left off with those talks to say, if you just hear those talks on prayer, and a lot of people have heard, I've got a lot of emails from people that have said their life has changed because they now know they were doing wrong and they're praying more to ask God to help them how to bring up their children. And people have changed a lot, which is good. So let's move on from that now. And there's another thing that if I was to die, let's just say, I would like, and they, someone said to me, if you were to die in a few weeks, what would you want to teach people. I said, well, I, I made it for that one, for the prayer part, the prayer for everything. 
What's the next thing? The lives of saints. So someone might say, so you're saying you're putting the same level prayer with lives of saints? Yes, actually higher. Because without the lives of saints, you won't know how to pray. So today's topic, why are the demons so afraid when one reads the lives of saints? And we read in Ephesians and in the Gospel, Christ said it a lot of times about the devil being the enemy, but we read in St Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 6, line 12, he said, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. St. Paul specifically is talking about demons who have an intelligence, and they fight against mankind, but especially they fight against those who are trying to unite themselves with Christ. They're his main enemies. Now, a lot of Christians say, I understand demons exist and they fight us, they try to make us sin, they put thoughts into our mind, they make us angry, etc. Yes. Some say, I don't, they don't even know that demons exist, they don't really believe it properly. They're another category. Let's leave them out. Today we're just going to concentrate on those who do believe. But very few Orthodox Christians actually know that the demons also fight Orthodox Christians to do with spiritual reading. A lot of people don't understand that. That they try to stop you and me and everyone reading spiritual books. They don't want you to read spiritual books. But if they can't stop you because you've got zeal and you really want to read, then they'll try to make the person read the wrong books, books that aren't their level. That's another trick. If he can't stop you reading, his best is stop you reading altogether. If you can't do that, the next level is to make you read wrong books. Make you not want to read the books that are good for you and make you read the books that are bad for you. And yes, some spiritual books are bad for certain people. And the other thing he tries to make us do is to read Books that are heretical, heretical books. You might say, well, why would I read a heretical book? Well, I was talking to someone and he was investigating, for example, the Immaculate Conception to compare it to the Orthodox teaching of the Mother of God. I'm not going to even go into it because why should I defile the air? But why would you do that? Why would you do that? Or to read harmful things, other harmful things. Go on YouTube and watch different things on YouTube. First, the devil says, you know, watch something spiritual on YouTube. So people say they watch the YouTube, watch the spiritual, and slowly, 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 once you're kind of relaxed and you're already engrossed in the screen and the videos and that, Slowly it goes to worldly things. And after worldly things, if you're not careful, it goes to inappropriate things and then it ends up the nice icing on the cake for him, nice, not for us, is pornography. And do you know how many people have told me that they've started saying that they go, oh, 
father, I fell into the pornography. I said, how did that happen? He goes, well, I was watching a, a, a spiritual video. I go, yeah. And what happened? I don't know how it got there, but within about an hour, I was watching pornography. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So let's move on. So there is a warfare. That's what all this is about tonight. Uh, the benefits and the tricks of the devil to do with spiritual reading and the importance and things like that. Now, I want to read a section on the place of the lives of saints in the spiritual life. Now, Father, a higher monk Damascene, he's now the abbot of St. Herman of Alaska Monastery that was established by Father Seraphim Rose. Now, he delivered to the Serbian Orthodox Diocese of Western America on March the 1st, 2002, a certain talk on the lives of saints. So I've picked a part of that talk which really moved me and this is my, how I want to introduce today's talk, apart from everything else I said, but this is good. So this, Father Damascus said his words. I spoke recently to an Orthodox priest who had converted to Orthodoxy from the Protestant church, one of the thousands that exist. He told me that when he was received into the Orthodox church, the priest which received him the priest which anointed him or baptised him, whatever they did, he said to this person, you will never be truly orthodox without reading the lives of the saints. That's what the priest said. Now, some might think, that's fanatical. You'll never be orthodox if you don't read the Bible. Yes, I can understand that. You'll never be orthodox if you don't partake of the mysteries. People can understand that. But to say, you'll never be orthodox without reading the lives of the saints, what's going on? Maybe the Protestants are right when they say, oh, the orthodox, there's too much emphasis on the saints and not enough on the Bible. We, the Protestants say, we emphasise the Bible. Well, the question is, if you emphasise the Bible, then why are you in millions of pieces? Why are you in so many different Protestant groups? Because maybe because the Bible's not enough. Maybe that's why they're in a mess. Later, this convert became a priest. And he said, Father Damascus says, later when he himself became a priest, he found that the most pious people in the churches are those who read the lives of saints. And those who make the most progress in spiritual life are those who read the lives of the saints. He noticed it himself. So yeah, the priest did say it to him, but when he became a priest, he goes, wow, this is interesting. The people who read the lives of saints, they're pious, they're different, they're spiritual. And the ones that don't are what I call spiritual, what? Prunes. Why do I call them spiritual prunes? Because prunes are dried out. And they... That's prunes spiritually. They're dry. That's my opinion. But we're going to say, well, who are you? And who's this person that's talking about this? What does the church say? Yes, you've given what you think, meaning me, and you've telling us what Father Damascus introduced, but what does the church teach? You're saying some very, very serious things, that those who don't read the lives of saints can't be spiritual. Yes, that's what I'm saying. I've always believed that. Actually... If you look at my talks, talks one, two, three, 
very interesting. The first two talks that I actually did, I hadn't uh, given a talk for 10 years because I was quite sick, still am, but I just didn't do any. And then I was invited to the Apostle Paul bookshop, rather than Paul, and I did the first two talks on a general level, which to me was a mess. I didn't like it. There was no specific topics. I said, oh, I'm going to delete them. But anyway, the, f the, the first talk that I did, which was on a specific topic, and amazingly, I probably didn't even know that well what I was doing because I didn't research it. That's what I believed. And the talk is number three. So talk three is really should be officially talk one. Now talks one and two, which are on dying, I really talks 11 and 12, but I moved them over to there and then I met it like that. That's why they're 2008, talks one and two, and talk three is 2007. So my real, my first talk was talk three. Can we be called Orthodox Christians without reading the lives of the saints? When I did that talk, I didn't do any of the research I did and I'm going to present to you today and God willing in a couple of months and God willing I'm going to do them for the rest of the year. I didn't research it. I just felt that's what it is. I felt that. I believe that. And I chose the life of the new martyr Constantine, who was under the Turks, the Turkish yoke there, and I did that life, talk three. I think I even continued in talk four, and I think I even continued in talk five. And then talk six, I did something, I don't know what I did. Then talk seven, I think I didn't like talk six. It was good, but I didn't, I said, I don't like, uh, I'm going to go back to the saints. I did Saints Cyprian and Justina, uh, Justina. Talk seven. And I think I carried that on to talk eight. I think I even talked about that in talk nine. And then I said, okay, I've done St. Skipper and you said, what would be my next topic? Oh, I'm going to do St. Senya, talk 10. Then I did talk 11 and 12 on marriage. Then 13, I wanted to do another one on marriage. I said, mm, when I do a life of saints, it's just so different. So talk 13, I did in there the life of saints Adrian and Natalia, which were married saints. Then I did talk 14. No, sorry, sorry 13. I think 14 was St. Adrian Talia. And when I finished that series, what I did on marriage, that little one back then, I went to talk 15. Who did I do? St. Paisios. 15, 16, 17, 18. When I finished St. Paisios, what did I do? Talk 19. Elder Porfirios. 19, 20, 21. Then 22, I still did him on the upbringing of children, 22. 23, on all the disasters people do when they're in spiritual life, according to Saint Porfirios. Then 24 was general, 25 was general, 26 was something, 27, 28 on the dying, 29 on the dying, 30 on the dying, 31 on depression, 32, I went on to the ones on deception, demons and things like that, or how they trick us. Then that was 32, 33. 32 to 38, all those talks, I constantly made references to the lives of saints. Then I did prayer, 39, 40, 41, 42. Four on prayer there and deceptions and things like that. And then 43, general, 44, general, 45, general, 46, on the toll houses, 47 the toll houses. Then St. Nectarius, back to the life of saint. Five talks. 49, 51, 52, 
and 53, I think, five talks. And then I did the marriage talks. And in those marriage talks, I referenced lives of saints as much as I can. That's how I do it. And let's see if I'm correct. So that was the story that Father Damaskin gave in this talk that he did in the Serbian church. Now, I'm going to talk about some spiritual prunes, three people. And I'm not saying it so we can make fun. I'm saying it to use them as an example, which we all can be guilty of. So one person, he wrote to me quite a few years ago, and he said to me, he wanted some help, whatever, whatever, and we started to clash. Started, I started noticing he wasn't understanding me properly. Everything I said, he would just misinterpret, and you know, I had to write back. There's something wrong. And I was suspicious. I wonder if he reads the lives of saints. Because usually people like that don't read the lives of saints. So I said to him, do you read the lives of saints? He goes, no, because I was brought up in Russia, the, these famous theologians in Russia, they tell the people during their talks and on podcasts or whatever that Orthodox Christians should not emphasise the lives of saints. And he goes, I don't like what they say, I don't believe what they say. Then if you don't believe them, then why didn't you read the lives of saints? He goes, oh, uh, looks like I was influenced. He wasn't reading the lives of saints. He was actually negative. Because I noticed that when I would tell him, you've got to read the lives of saints, I could feel the vibes coming from the phone. You know, vibes, vibrations. It wasn't the line. It was from him. He was getting disturbed every time I said, so he didn't like what I was saying, because he had in his mind the great Rus theologians that were saying, no, yet, whatever it is, so yes or no, which is no. How do you say no? Yet. <laughs> no, no lives of saints, just a little bit. Instead, you should listen to us. And these are very big theologians of the Russian church. Oh, yeah, and they're against elders, these theologians. They're against elders, they're against lives of saints. Basically, they're against everything orthodox. Anyway, so this person said straight away he ordered, he understood that he did wrong, and what did he do? He ordered the lives of saints, and I said to him, that's going to be your main thing. Don't worry about the theologians. Now, some might say, but they've gone to university. They've studied theology. What have you done? Algebra. Because that's all I've studied. I just did maths. I didn't study theology. What would you know? Well, we'll see what I know today. The second person, the second spiritual prune, because usually in a packet you get a few, you don't just get one. Uh, the second one, he wrote to me and said to him, do you read the lives of saints? And he goes, thank you for your, much for your response. Admittedly, I have not read much on the lives of the saints. I'm not sure why this is. Perhaps it never interested me all that much. Another person, when I would speak to him, it was like I was Chinese and he couldn't understand Chinese. So as I was speaking to him, he just couldn't register what I was saying. Dry as. Dry as. 
I'm not putting these people down. I'm just trying to show, using them as an example, because when you use, even Father Paisios, Saint Paisios, in his, if you look at his talks that he did, always said, this person came, this person came. Now, I'm not doing that because he did it. I just do it naturally. I know because when people ring me or people write to me, you know, especially when you talk to someone, they go, oh, I heard talk such and such, yeah? You know, the one that you said about that time that you went into the forest and the person took out his philokalias and all that type of stuff. People remember all those stories. That's how it is. We all learn from these little stories. That's why I use them. People remember. See, when you go away, you might not remember much from the talk, but you might remember those spiritual prunes. What are spiritual prunes? Someone who doesn't read the lives of saints. You won't forget that. Now, the third prune, he actually was obsessed with 666, the mark of the beast, Antichrist, the ID cards. We shouldn't get the ID cards. Chips, you know, the microchips? Not Smith's chips. Chips, microchips, barcodes, apostasy, end of the world, etc. There's a lot of them in the church today. Now, uh, what was this person? This person, I think, was Serbian, but you see them in the Greek church, you see them in the Russian church, everywhere. And it's also this problem is in the Protestant churches and in the Catholic churches. There's this thing about this, this topic. And he was reading the internet and forums and blogs. Are they different? I don't even know. So I suspected that he wasn't reading the lives of saints because from my experience, people who think like him, they don't read the lives of saints. Because what I was doing, I was saying to him, he was saying, blah, 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 the chips and this and the barcodes. And I was saying to him, but Saint so-and-so said that. Saint said this. That Holy Father said that. It was like he just couldn't do it. It was like he was a computer and he was saying, it does not compute. I just cannot understand because these people talk like computers too. It's like all these type of things. And, they, and if they do pick a saint, they'll pick one saint and misinterpret what he said or an elder. Perhaps the elder is a false elder, which is what those theologians in Russia were trying to say because in Russia, like in every in every time of the Orthodox Church, from centuries behind, there's always false elders and false eldresses. And in Russia, there is quite a lot of them. But they shouldn't do it like that. And they're actually negative towards monasteries, going to monasteries. Like in America, Father Frum's monasteries, 18 in North America, 18 monasteries. And yet, some of the hierarchs over there and the clergy forbid their spiritual children to visit those monasteries. They're anti-monastic because maybe one of them made a mistake or they just don't believe what they're saying, they're too strict or whatever. But there is a spirit that's always been in the church, anti-monastic spirit. Without orthodox monasticism, orthodoxy is dead because all the Holy Fathers just about were monastics. All the teachings, a lot of the teachings that we get came out of monasticism. So this person just could not understand what I was talking about. And people pretend that they agree with you, 
but you can tell from their voice they're not agreeing. So I suspected that. So I said to this person, do you read the lives of saints? You are reading the internet. You are reading certain articles. You're doing that, blogs and all those type of things. And guess what he answered to me? He says, I don't read the lives of saints. Why not? Because they're not deep or intellectually stimulating enough for me. That's blasphemy. And you say, oh, that's a bit harsh. You're a priest and you call him a spiritual prune. This is serious. This is serious. To actually say it's not stimulating enough for me. So, look what I found as I was reading the life and the writings and letters of Father John Christiankin, who passed away in 2006, in a book called May God Give You Wisdom, the letters of Father John Christiankin. Now, Father John Christiankin was considered like an authority in the Russian church. People trusted him. They really had trust in what he said because he had the gift of discernment. And what did he say about these people? Because back in those days, the Russians were going through this thing, like in Greece, about not to accept the ID card. So the hierarchs, even the hierarchs, were asking Father John, what do you say, Father John? What do you say, Elder, about this topic? And he wrote things on there and actually put it on websites and things like that. But the prunes don't listen to these things because it doesn't fit what they like. So he says, I found a letter. This is what he wrote in one of the letters. Even great pillars of the Orthodox Church made mistakes in considering the time of the end of the universe. Pillars, like you need pillars to hold up a big, big building. He calls them pillars because they are holding up orthodoxy, the teaching, the true teaching of God. The Holy Fathers, he goes, even those Holy Fathers that were pillars of the Orthodox Church made mistakes when they spoke about the end of the world. For example, he says, St John Chrysostom wrote outright, like straight out, that the end of the world can be expected around the year 400. He died 407 or something like that. So he was thinking when he wrote it, maybe he wrote it 30, 40 years beforehand, 20 years. He actually thought that this man, this great universe, we call him a universal teacher of the Orthodox, that the church, every Orthodox church recognises St John Christum as one of the greatest fathers of the Orthodox church. And he said in his writings that the end of the world's going to come at around 400. I will read to you what St. John Christum said, the exact words. I will not be wrong, he said, pointing at the approximate date of the year 400. That's what St. John Christum said. And Father John then says, but he was wrong. Now, he's not saying that with disrespect, but straight out he said, St. John Chrysostom was wrong. But of course he was wrong. He's not being disrespectful. We need to know these things to help us deal with these questions and problems. And he goes, but he was wrong. 
1,548 years from the time that he wrote the letters, in other words, have passed since that date. And the world has not ended. What is it now? 400, 1600, 1619, isn't it? 1619 years have passed from the time that St John Christum says it's going to be the end of the world. And remember that some of the fathers of the church said that the end of the world was going to be at the time of um, Arius, when Arius was proclaiming that Christ wasn't God. They said, this is it, you know, for a priest to be saying that. And so many people of the Orthodox Church, bishops, priests, were following Arius, who lived around the year 300. They were saying that Christ isn't God, which is the central dogma of the Orthodox Church. And then some of the fathers of the church, holy people said, this must be the end of the world. For the church to be saying that, for a lot of the church. And who stood up to him? Athanasius and some other great saints. But he was wrong. 1,548 years have passed since that date and the world has not ended. This was written, Father John says, in the eighth volume of his works, which is the explanation of the conversation between Christ and the Samaritan woman. St. John was famous for interpreting the gospel and the epistles. And one of, them, one of the sermons or the or this writings that he did was on this conversation of Christ and the Samaritan woman. And in there, he, he brought up this topic. He used to go off topic too. Not off topic, but he used to do that. Like I do, where I'm talking, I talk about different things. If you read his writings, he doesn't just stick to the topic there. Sometimes he brings in other things to show his points. And he brought in at that point, uh, during this explanation, that the end of the world is going to be around the year 400. Similarly, Father John says, during the time of iconoclasm, which happened in the 8th to 9th centuries, iconoclasm was they were persecuting those who venerated icons. They burnt icons, they painted, they whitewashed a lot of the beautiful frescoes in the Orthodox churches in Constantinople. They destroyed icons, burnt them. You weren't allowed. I mean, it was really, it was actually worse than that. They also destroyed relics of saints. They didn't believe in that. They didn't believe in saints, those heretics. This was the Orthodox Church. And priests and bishops followed them and agreed with them. I think they blasphemed the mother of God. They really, they were like the Protestants of today who also don't like icons and saints and they're exactly the same. Anyway, these demonically inspired people were teaching that. And then St. Theodore, who was one of the greatest confessors during that time, who said, no, we do venerate the saints and we do venerate the icons. And he suffered persecution and he inspired many other people to die for the holy icons and traditions of the church. And he said, St. Theodore said that, during that time, it was so bad. Like, if you read a description, I can't remember all of it, but when I read it, I go, people think that we're living in bad times now. T today is hardly nothing compared to then. No one's coming into our churches here and burning icons and things like that. Similar thing happened in, during the Soviet days, but they were atheists. The ones who were doing it during that time were orthodox, supposedly. 
hierarchs, the Orthodox emperor. And Saint Theodore said, the end of the world must be near for this to be happening, this great Holy Father. In general, Father John says, many people during different times have been attracted by this idea of the end of the world. In Russia, Elder Ambrose of Optina spoke of this. So Elder Ambrose explained that, like what I'm doing today, I'm you know, picking all these saints and trying to prove my... Saint Elder Ambrose, who had the gift of discernment, he actually explained and said, calm down, everyone, be careful, because look at this. This saint believed that, and this saint believed that, and they were wrong. Now, how did Father John come to this conclusion? while the other people believe differently about they're going to be the end of the world soon in Russia and everywhere. How did that happen? And the answer is because Father John Christiankin read the lives of saints. And by reading the lives of saints, he was able to bring his knowledge of the lives of saints to bring some sanity to the Russian people who were going crazy about it. And Elder Ambrose brought some sanity during his times because there was difficulties, and Elder Ambrose read the lives of saints, and he used the saints to bring out the point. Now, some people have said, when's the Antichrist going to come? Now, some thought it was Nero, the Emperor Nero, because he was killing Christians and burning them in the Colosseum. He wasn't. Then some thought it was Arius during the uh, third century and then beginning of the fourth. No end of the world. Another period was, like I just said now, some thought that it was the emperors of the Byzantine Empire. Some thought in Russia it was Peter the Great, Catherine the Great. Another period was the Pope. When the, when the Catholic Church fell away, half the church fell away because of the Pope, then a lot of Orthodox Christians were saying, and saints, it must be the end of the world. The church is split in half. But he wasn't. It went on and on and on. There's others, but I'll just tell the ones I know. Napoleon, because Napoleon was taken over the parts of the, large parts of the world, and he came and tried to take over Russia. And people in that time were saying, Napoleon's the Antichrist. This is the sign that the end of the world's coming. But no, Napoleon's gone. He had the world still here. Who's next? Stalin. Lenin. People thought, look at the Russian church. And really, really, when you look at it, don't they have a point? Like Holy Russia, this big country that takes up so much of the world with millions of Orthodox Christians suddenly lost the Tsar, the whole royal family. Churches were being bombed and converted into toilets and theatres. Priests were being killed. Nuns were being raped. People were being put in concentration camps because they were Orthodox. They had infiltrated into the hierarchy of the church. They made this what's called living church, which was a Soviet-run church. They were trying to make people leave the proper church and go to that church. And people at the time, saints as well, said, We've come to the end of the world. We've come to the end of the world. Now, 
Some said it in 1924 in Greece when they changed the calendar to, to the new calendar, which is not a dogmatic issue, but it's still serious because it broke the unity of the church. And a lot of the Greeks protested against that. They said, no, we're not going to change. We're not going to celebrate Christmas and other holy days on the same times as the Latins. We're going to keep to the traditions of the church. So the Greek hierarchs got the police to go and arrest many of the Christians who were not accepting the calendar change, which happened on the Annunciation. And what did they do? The police, with the blessing of the official Greek Orthodox Church, went into the churches of these people that were celebrating with the old calendar, overturned the epitaphia, you know, the tomb of Christ during Pascha, spilt out communion from the chalices, shaved the beads from priests because they wanted to follow the old calendar. And at that time, I'm sure that they said, this must be the end of the world. And it's like it was the end of the world to be doing that. The official Orthodox Church was behind a lot of that. Now, there's another thing now about what should we do and all that. I'm not here for that yet. The time will come where I have to present that. But it's not a dogmatic issue. And the New Calendar Church has produced many saints. So I'm not of the belief that because someone's in the New Calendar, it means they're going to lose their soul. But I'm just telling you about that time. It was bad. And this has happened time and time again. In Russia, in Serbia, in Bulgaria, in Romania, in the Palestinian areas, all these uh, Arabic countries. It's happened so many times. And people at that time thought, rightly so, it's the end of the world. And Elder Ambrose said, he gave all, a lot of examples in his time, he said, no. Well, so Father John says, you see that we have, we have lived to the year 2001 and the end of the world has not yet happened. And life goes on. Christ, who came into the world to save sinners, continues his podvig, his struggle, Christ's struggle, which is to love mankind to save them. He gave us the way to salvation, and he is the same throughout all ages. For Christians of the first centuries and the last times, this is faith in God's providence and life according to faith. That's a nice little explanation for those who look at these things. I know, I used to be into that. You know, when I was, came to the church and then I read and then, and I started seeing bishops praying with the Dalai Lama. Bishops praying with the Jews who blaspheme Christ that say the Messiah stood to come. Just what's going on? And then I read some books and End of Times and the Antichrist and I got influenced like, a bit like that too. Until I started reading the lives of saints. I started saying, oh, in Russia, for example, one stage when they changed the liturgical books, just the service books a bit, the old believers and all that, that, that history, they said you can't do your cross like this. They used to do it with two fingers. They said, you've got to do it with three fingers. And they said, the end of the world's come. The end of the world has come. 
And what did they do? Orthodox Christians, Russians, said it's better to die than to be under the Tsar and the Orthodox Church, which have become Antichrist, and so they were jumping off cliffs and killing themselves. Men were burying their families, burying them, killing them. And they said, better for that to happen than for you to be under these people. You can't be under these people. Jumping off cliffs during those times and things like that. And plus, let me tell you, when I came to the church, there was a book written, one, one book, quite popular about the end of the world. Anyway, they said that the Antichrist was born around 1966. So people were waiting because 30 years are going to be unknown and the 30th year is going to show himself for three and a half years as a good person and after three and a half years is going to show his colour. Then for three and a half years he's going to persecute. So I was waiting. 1996 should be when the Antichrist will appear, some government person, some ruler... Some even thought that George Bush was the Antichrist. This is how crazy it is. And 996 came nothing. And we're now 2019. What happened? And I said, forget it. Now it's a trick. You know what it is? It's the devil's trick to make us not struggle. Those people who involve themselves in that stuff they don't struggle spiritually. That's the truth. I've noticed. They've got no idea of repentance. They've got hardly no idea of prayer. If they do pray, they're deceived. They do not read the lives of saints. They're really spiritual prunes. Then, I think with God's help, I came to the realisation through the lives of saints. I said, you know what? If I'm not spiritually ready, if I'm not spiritually strong... When the Antichrist comes and says, you will receive my mark, you must deny Christ, because Father John Christian says, you've got to deny, you can't be, because that these, some of these Russians and other mad people are saying, You've, they'll trick you and they'll somehow mark you with the mark of the beast or things like that through some computer ways. Or, and Father John said, you have to consciously, consciously say, I deny the Orthodox Church, I deny Christ. It doesn't count. The devil knows that too. It doesn't count. They want your heart. They want you to confess it. And he said, don't worry about it. Anyway, so I thought to myself, if I'm not spiritually ready, if I'm not communing, confessing, praying to get spiritual strength from within me, when the Antichrist comes and says, I'm not going to give you food unless you deny Christ, what am I going to do? Okay, just jump straight into it. Because I've got no spiritual strength. Because I was too busy uh, going crazy about all those things. I didn't spiritually struggle. That's what the devil wants. That's what he wants. He wants you and me to stop struggling spiritually. And you can know all that you can absolutely learn of the Antichrist. You can read every book, you can watch every YouTube video now, you can read everything about it, but when the time comes, we will deny because we will not have the spiritual strength. That's the devil's biggest trick. 
And there's a lot of people who were into that who later on fell away. They fell into sexual sins, they fell into heresies and things like that. So this is no good. Now, section B, the saints of the Orthodox Church. St. Nectarius of Pentapolis, he says, Our church honours saints not as gods, but as faithful servants, holy men and friends of God. Now, people say that we worship saints. We don't worship saints, we only worship God. We venerate, we show honour and glory to the saints because they are holy and they are friends of God. That's what St. Nectarius says. Starit Siluanos, or Siluan, some people say it like that, Siluanos Greek, who was a, a Russian saint of Manothos, and he died in 1938. He says, The saints were people like ourselves. Many of them started with grievous sins, but through repentance they attained the kingdom of heaven. Simple. That's it. And we all got sins. Some less, some more, doesn't matter. And how do we attain the kingdom of heaven? Through repentance. Number two, same saint. The saints rejoice when we repent and grieve when men forsake God and become like unto brute beasts. Number three, to many people, the saints seem far from us. The saints are far only from those who have taken themselves away from them. But they are very close to those who keep Christ's commandments and possess the grace of the Holy Spirit. So he's trying to say that if someone's keeping Christ's commandments, if someone's got the grace of God, the Holy Spirit, then they will be close to the saints. It's automatic. And if someone's not close to the saints, it means that they're not keeping Christ's commandments and they don't have the Spirit of God. St. John of Cronstant, who I love when you read his writings, I love the life, but I also love his writings. They're just so simple. Number one, we call upon the saints in prayer. Talk with them. Thank and praise them. It's, it is urgently necessary, I underlined urgently, it's urgently necessary for every Christian to be in union with them if he desires to make Christian progress. What did Father Damascene say? That the priest said that those who make progress are those that read the lives of saints. Now St. John of Cronstein confirms that. That if you want to make Christian progress, you need to be in union with the saints. For the saints are our friends, our guides to salvation, who pray and intercede for us. See, like he's speaking like an everyday language and, and it's just um, so good to hear that. And the three, at the end of your morning and evening prayers, call upon the saints so that seeing every virtue accomplished by them, you may yourself imitate every virtue. So during prayer, of course, we have to call on the saints. That's part of being orthodox, the mother of God, the angels, and the saints, and he says, to imitate their virtues. We're going to talk about that during this talk. And the last one, let those who pray to the saints imitate them in their love for God, their hatred for the world, for the sinful world, not poor people, their prayers, we've got to imitate their prayers, their abstinence, their unselfishness. We have to imitate their patience in sickness, sorrows and misfortunes, their love for their neighbour, 
Without such imitation of the saints, our prayer will be as useless as beat in the air. That's strong words. So like you try to beat the air, what am I doing? Nothing. Can you feel it? Nothing. So if I do that, you don't feel it. Nothing. See if Michael can feel it. Can you feel my hand that go in there? It's like I'm Benny Hinn. Can you feel it? No. And he's saying, St John of Cronstadt, a great saint, he's saying, if you don't imitate the saints, or if you're not in union with the saints, then your prayer is worthless. But, but, but the Protestants say that we should have Christ as the centre. Christ should be the centre. Christ is the centre. Then why do we venerate the saints? Because they made Christ the centre of their life and we're learning from them. They're helping us. They've made it. They're saved. They're helping us. We can relate to them because they were human like us. Saint Ephraim the Syrian says, Blessed is he who plants in his soul good plants, that is, the virtues and the lives of the saints. Like you plant a plant like in the ground so it can grow, we have to plant in our soul good seeds. And what's these good seeds that will help to grow into things that are useful for our soul? The virtues and the lives of the saints. Question, how do we know the virtues of the saints so that we can plant them in our souls so we can receive this benefit? That's my question. My answer, by reading the lives of saints. How are we going to know? But the Bible is all you need. Just read the Bible. We'll see about that. St. Clement of Rome in the year 102, he wrote, "Come, because oh, some people say the ancient church didn't believe in these saints. This is all made up by the Catholic and Orthodox Church later on, the Protestants are saying. We don't need the saints. We go back to the ancient church. Well, let's see what one of the great holy fathers, St. Clement of Rome, said in the year 102 he died. Come to the saints, for they who unite themselves to them shall be made holy. Exactly what St. John of Cronstein said, exactly what all those other people that we've read already. Come to the saints. The question, how does one come to the saints so we can become holy? Well, I said reading the lives of saints, but let me tell you more. Kissing their icons. When we kiss their icons, we come close to them. When we kiss their relics, when we bow down to them, we do prostrations at home in front of the icons, we come close to the saints. When we light candles and oil lamps in front of their icons and relics, etc., we become close to them and become holy. When we do prayers to them, short prayers, or when we read akathas or canons to them, we become close to them. When we anoint ourselves with oil that's from their shrines, or even an oil lamp that you've got at home, that you've got in front of their icon, that's the same. That, that's also good. So you put, and you've got an icon of the saint, say you want to get close to Saint Nicholas. So you put a Saint Nicholas icon, you put the oil lamp in front of it, you let it burn there, you go and put your finger in and you anoint yourself. You become close to the saints. Reading their lives, honouring them, glorifying them, marvelling at their deeds when you read their lives. When you read the life of saints, just so that you know, 
You'll call in the saint close to you at the time. He stands near you or she stands near you as you're reading their life. They like that. When we read their writings and when we try to follow their examples, their virtues. Now, that was that section on some little bit of talk about what do the saints say about the, the saints. But now look at something else. I'm going to talk about specifically the reading of the lives of saints using saints as an example. Saint Porphyrios. He said the following. While I was looking after the sheep, I back when he was at home, when he was young, I read the life of Saint John the Hut Dweller, syllable by syllable. Syllable by syllable, very slowly. Why? He couldn't read. And he went up to first class, if I remember right. He couldn't read, but he actually really wanted to read the life of Saint. So he went like that, very, very slowly. Even though I knew nothing, I hadn't even seen a monk or a monastery, nothing, he actually wanted to become a monk just by reading One Life of Saint. When he went to Manathos, when he ran away from home, as you remember in Talk 19, or if you're, those of you have read it, my spiritual fathers, he had two, wouldn't let me read anything from the great fathers which contain deep spiritual teachings. That is, Saint Ephraim, Saint Isaac the Syrian, Saint John of the Latter, Saint Simeon the New Theologian, and the Evergetinos, which is the stories of the Holy Fathers, the Desert Fathers and all that. And his spiritual father said, Nyet, no, none of that. They had forbidden me. What did they allow him to read then, as the novice when he went there? And what they told him to do, he did. So in obedience, I read only the lives of saints, the Salta, the book of the eight tones, which are the service books, and the Minau, which are the service books. That's it. The Minau, which contained the hymns for the day of each month, and that was where I learned to read from, because to begin with, I wasn't able to read. He only had, as I said, uh, a first grade education. Do you know that when I was a lay person, I went to Melbourne, stayed at someone's place. He was fanatical. And he was reading the Son John of the Ladder and Saint Isaac the Syrian and all these stuff. I said, you shouldn't do that. And he goes, why? I said, because it's too deep. They're no good. Just stick to easy books. Read the lives of saints. I was only a lay person. I wasn't a priest. And when I left, then later on I found out that he was going everywhere in Melbourne and saying, He's a heretic. He's against the Holy Fathers. And he put me down. And my response was, poor thing. What else could you say? I couldn't sit there and cry. He was going around everywhere. He goes, you know that person? Because I was doing talks in Melbourne. It's another story. But I was doing talks down there. And he went around and was telling people, don't go to his talks because he's a heretic. Wow. Fancy saying that. So rude. Anyway, and what happened? 25 years later or something like that, he rang me up to apologise and said to me, I don't know, it was a lot of years, he says, now I can see you're right. Well, I said, why? He goes, because I'm a mess. All those books messed me up. Because that guy was worldly. 
he was listening to heavy metal, ACDC, all these things, and then suddenly he changed. The change was true. He changed from a demonic person and became Christian. When I changed, I changed from a demonic person to become Christian. When you changed, you, became, you came from a demonic person. Because what are we when we're not with Christ? So, he changed suddenly. And then all of a sudden he's reading these deep books which need purity. You don't read them to become pure. That comes later. You need to get some level of purity. And he just went bang. And he fell into deception. And fell into a lot of sins too. Serious ones. If I tell you, you'll get scandalised. But it was bad. What are you saying? Yep. And it's not just him. It's time and time again. Same story. People fall in low. The devil rejoiced. But shouldn't the devil try to stop him? He's reading these holy books. No. No, he likes that. Read them, he's saying. I won't even stop you. I won't even tempt you. I won't even make you sleepy. You try and read a life of a saint, and it's like someone hit with a sledgehammer at the back of your head. Like you fall asleep, you get tired, you get dizzy, there's distractions. You think things are crawling on you. You get gas in the stomach. You, you name it, you'll get it. But you try and read the deeper books. I'm into the Russian tonight. Yeah, nothing. Nothing at all. That way he, won't, he won't fight with that. Saint Elder Cleopa, let's see what he says about the lives of saints. That's what Elder Porfirio said. Elder Cleopa, I read the lives of saints of which I had all 12 volumes, because they come in volumes like that. I would read, and the day would pass by in what seemed like an hour. In other words, he lost track of time. He was just getting so much into it. People say, what are you going to do in heaven? Wouldn't it be boring? No, because there's no time. There's no time. When you go to church, if you really, really get into the service properly, you lose track of time. There's no boredom, just joy. The same as the spirit. When you read a spiritual book and you're properly reading them, it's like no time. It's like you lose time. And he said, the lives of saints really strengthens one. Very much so. All that I read then, but he used to read other books too, by the way, but he made a special mention when you read his book. He said, you can read all these books, but he's talking to monastics. You can read this, you can read a lot of the ones that Father Porfirius wasn't allowed to read. He says, you can read them, but he says, especially the lives of saints really strengthens one. He emphasised the lives of saints. Saint Sava of Kalymnos, a Greek saint on the island of Kalymnos. I think they call him Saint Savas the New. He was the priest, priest monk that was living in the monastery at, during the last years of Saint Nectarius. And he's the one that painted the icon of Saint Nectarius as a saint just after he reposed. Saint Sava was born in 1862, into a poor family in eastern Thraki, part of Turkey. From his childhood, familiarity with the lives of saints had kindled in his heart a desire for the monastic life. But his parents, having other plans for him, 
made him finish his schooling at the age of 12 to run a small shop. It's interesting here that Elder Porfirios read the life of St. John. The sign of someone really coming closer to God is that he wants to dedicate entirely his life to God, which you can't do as well in the married situation. Doesn't mean that married people aren't going to be saved. It doesn't mean that, but there's Martha and Mary. Martha, Martha, you are anxious about many things, but you haven't chosen the good part. So Martha was running around serving Christ, physical food, prepare, you know, things like that. But her sister Mary was sitting at Christ's feet and was listening to his teaching, contemplative, just listening, learning not being involved with the worldly things. And then she said, Lord, why don't you tell her to help me? And he said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious about too many things. But Mary chose the better part, not the only part. Christ did not put her down for being involved in those things. Christ does not put the married people down for being involved in that type of life. But the monastic chooses the better part. That's all. Whoever wants to. So he didn't put her down for wanting to serve, but he said, don't try and stop your sister. If your sister wants to sit here and listen to teach and be absorbed into the, into the teachings that I'm saying, then don't bother her. Leave her alone. Like people today, they bother the Marys in the Orthodox Church, in the monasteries. Marys meaning the monks and the nuns who are involved in prayer continually and listening to the teachings of Christ. And they say, what do they do? What do they do? What do they do? All they do is pray all day. What do they do is pray all day. Yeah, through their prayers. If it wasn't through their prayers, it would be the end of the world. They're holding the world. But my parish priest does services on Sunday. Yeah, that's, that, that's true. And the world's sanctified through all those services. But without monasticism, we're finished. We're finished. Manathos, they say every morning when they monks get up to pray, they get up 12 o'clock, some of them, midnight, and start their services because they serve liturgies every day. They usually end the liturgy around six, around o'clock. But during those times in the night, if we had spiritual eyes to see and look at Mount Athos from far away at that time, the whole of Mount Athos is in flame, spiritual flame, of the prayers and the services that are going up. Don't blaspheme. Don't say that. Well, what do monks do? The Catholics lost themselves and their monastics became childcare workers and teachers and things like that. And not that that's not important. We have some saints that did that too, like Mother Elizabeth of the Russian church during the communist time, the sister of Empress Alexandra. But the, the most important thing for monastic is praying for the world. Saint Savas's mother threatened him and said, please, don't leave, St. Savas' mother said, because if you do, I will die if you become a monk. 
he decided one day to run away to Manathos. He left her. Okay, we'll have the break. After page 10, I've got another 50 to go and I want to finish it. So let's have a quick break and come back because we've got much more to do tonight. We've now come back from our break and I've got two comments. One from our friend BM. He said, which is interesting, he said, and he's only 12 years old, but it's a good observation. He said that when he reads The Lives of Saints, when he goes to his bed, he says he falls asleep straight away, gets very tired, very dizzy. But when he reads a secular book, like a encyclopedia or something like that, he can stay awake for a long period of time. It's interesting. Even the little children notice the truth of what I said. The other one was from our resident doctor, Zora, where she said, why do we get affected if we read the higher level books? Is it because the person thinks they're holy? That's one of them. There's pride. But let's just say you're a doctor, you studied medicine at the university, correct? Obviously. Unless you're a quack, which you're not. <laughs> so... You all read those books. Now, if I get those books and try to read them and apply them, then who will be the quack? Me. Because I won't understand those books. And I try to apply them, I'm just going to make a mess. I'm going to make a big mess of myself and make decisions which could kill me or kill others. So when people are reading these books, these books were written by those who have progressed for those who are progressed, have something. Like you read that these people were pious and lived Christian lives as lay people, then later on they went to the monasteries, they first, like Elder Porfios, weren't allowed to read and slowly, slowly to get to the level. So it's like, which is higher? Primary school, in America they say elementary school, or high school, which is higher? High school. But can you go to high school without going to elementary school? Which is higher? High school or university? University. But without high school, you can't go to university. So which is higher? These high books can only be read if you've gone on the lower level first. And the lower level, but really, I'll just say it as a way of language, a lower level, a level that's more understandable to a large degree is the lives of saints, etc., the service books. And once you go through that and once progressed, they can understand St. John of the Lattice. So they'll fall, they'll get proud that they're reading. I used to read those books. I used to try and read them. It didn't work. Actually, I, I left it very early. I bought the Philokalia because they used to sell them. And when I was really bad meaning that I was extremely deceived, I actually thought I could understand it. Now, how could I understand the Philokalia? I didn't even have love for people. If I haven't got love for people, how am I going to read the Philokalia? Ah, but if you read the Philokalia, you get love. No, no, you're supposed to have love before you read the Philokalia. Have some love. 
virtues, some humility. Most people have hardly any virtues. They're still watching TV. They're surfing the net, and some of them even surf on the beach, and suddenly they're reading the Philokalia or Sir John of the Ladder, etc. It's a bit too much. Now, Holy Mother Elizabeth the Wonder Worker, 24th of April. Now, remember, the first part I was talking about is what the saints say about the saints. What are the teachings about saints? Part B that I'm doing now is I am choosing from the lives of saints references to the lives of saints that are in the lives of saints. So I'm using the saints to help me explain to you the importance of reading the lives of saints. So the first one was Elder Porfirios and what his spiritual fathers told him. The second one was, do we remember? I can't remember. Elder Cleopa, that he emphasised the lives of saints. He also read other books, by the way, but he was a very, very pure man. Saint Sava of Kalimnos read the lives of saints and he progressed so much, he wanted to dedicate all his life to God. Holy Mother Elizabeth, the wonder worker, 24th of April. Saint Elizabeth was given by God to her noble parents, devout Christians of Heraclea, following a miraculous intervention of the Holy Mother Glicheria, who served on the 13th of May. Obviously, I think what happened here, the parents were devout, spiritual, but they couldn't have children, so they prayed to the Holy Mother Glicheria, and she miraculously helped them to conceive, and they gave birth to Saint Elizabeth. Now, this is the important part. From her earliest years, she learned the lives of saints by heart so that she was able to follow the model of their evangelical conduct in every circumstance. So she would read the lives of saints, memorise them, and use those lives to know how to conduct her life according to the gospel. The question is, why did she just read the gospel? Why did she have to read the lives of saints? So what's the answer to that? Well, I think that's what we're going to find out tonight. Because perhaps I'm teaching you wrong. Perhaps I am saying to you to put the gospel to the side. And that's not important. Maybe the Protestants are right, which I doubt. But we're going to answer that. Why do we have to learn what the gospel says from the lives of saints? When she became an orphan at the age of 12, she gave her inheritance away to the needy, freed her slaves, entered the convent of St. George, popularly referred to as of the Little Hill in Constantinople, which was governed by her paternal aunt. And that's it. I didn't, I didn't put any more in because I didn't think it was important at this stage. I just wanted to do a short, that part. I'm choosing from Elder Cleopa, Elder Porfirios, Saint Sava of Kalimnos and Holy Mother Elizabeth, 
just references to them reading the lives of saints. Because I've made statements in the past, and people might have not liked it, but I've said, when you read the lives of saints, when you when you read the introduction, it's, they pretty much, the majority of them say that these saints became spiritual through reading the lives of saints. Few said that they read the Gospels. Obviously, these people read the Gospels too. That's a few. But the majority of lives that I've read, and I've read quite a few of them, they're all the same. They, that they read the lives of saints. And yet we're told by these modernists in all churches, Greek, Russian, this and that, there's a lot, ooh, there's an anti, there's an anti-saint spirit even in the Greek church. Hachimandrites there that say, we have to listen to the bishops or the sermons are enough or silly things like that or we just read the Bible. It's like they're Protestants with beards. St. Justin Popovich, who passed away in 1979, the greatest dogmatic theologian of the 20th century, a great holy father. I can't even read his writings hardly because they're so deep. I can't read them. He's done a lot of, lot of work. His life is very, very, very beneficial. I'm going to just read a little bit of it for today with the emphasis on the lives of saints. He was born the 25th of March, which is the Holy Annunciation, in 1894. By the way, he died on the same day. And he loved that feast the most. Into a very pious family. Oh, by the way, because he liked the, the Annunciation the most, does that mean that he disdained, that he rejected Christ's birth, that feast day, or the demission of the Mother of God? You know, people can like things more than something else. It doesn't mean that they're rejecting the other. Things move us. Different things move us. It says that in the, um, in the services in Holy Week, no, in Lent, where it says some people are moved through serving liturgy every day, referring to the priest, and some people are moved by listening to a sermon. Some people receive benefit through the prayer more and things like that. People are inclined. And with the saints... When you read the saints, you will notice that that saint really you're attracted to and that one not as much. But you're not rejecting that saint. You're not disdaining that saint. But that's human. You're attracted to certain things more than others. So he loved the Annunciation. Ordained in 1922. So he was um, 31. And in 1935 appointed professor of dogmatics in the theological faculty in Belgrade. When the Germans had occupied Serbia during World War II, the theological faculty in Belgrade was closed. During this time, St. Justin lived in various monasteries, occupying himself with the translation of many patristic texts and the writing of commentaries on the Holy Scriptures. No mention of lives of saints. Next sentence. One of these major works he was doing, written during this time, 
in modern Serbian he wrote this, was his collection of the lives of saints in 12 volumes. To do this, he used the synaxaria of Saint Nicodemus the Athenite, which is the Greek saint, and that's the official lives of saints of the Greek church, and Saint Demetrius of Rostov, which is the official, in a way, official, the lives of saints of the Russian church. So he used both of them and put things together. In his books, in the Serbian one, there were Serbian saints and Russian saints and ancient saints and Greek saints and Numaras, etc., etc. Shortly before his blessed death, he had the joy of seeing the publication of his lives of saints. That means for decades they wouldn't publish his lives of saints because he was persecuted, because he was orthodox. And a lot of the bishops were against him. He was exiled. Even after the Germans left for many years, he just was the serving priest of the women's monastery near Belgrade, outside Chelia. I think that's how you say it. Is that how you say it? Yeah. And um, he was there. This great dogmatic theologian. He should have been preaching all around the world, but no, they didn't want him. So he just stayed at the monastery. He served daily liturgy and he wrote. And many of his writings weren't even published. But he continued to do it. And when the time came, they were, they were published. Some of the stuff were published, but these volumes of the Rise of Saints, it was like people could have said, you wasted your time, Elder, all this work you did to, to produce these 12 volumes for the benefit of the Serbian people, and yet they don't even let you publish it. And just before his death, they, they published it. Nothing's wasted. Metropolitan Augustine of Florina, Bishop Augustine of Florina, who is a Greek, um, Florina is in Greece, and uh, oh, he was very good. Uh, you should read his life. I met him, and I went to some of his talks in Athens. He was at Florina's right up near, was it Macedonia, I think, somewhere up there? It was up there, very far up, on the border. Um, they kind of put him there because they didn't want to give him a better place. They just gave him up there. His diocese was one of the best dioceses in Greece. Not one heretical church. No Jehovah Witnesses were allowed. He had given orders. When the Jehovah Witnesses come, you ring the bells and you throw them out. No Jehovah Witnesses came. No belly dancers. They weren't allowed. He would go personally in there and stand in the hall. And people just used to go home because they were embarrassed. He was fiery. I think the Greek archbishop at that time, Seraphim, they clashed a lot. But he said one day, he goes, well, suppose everyone needs a watchdog and he's my watchdog. Meaning 
when something's wrong and like that, he would like bark, like, he would shout and tell people what they're doing is wrong. His sermons were powerful. He wrote hundreds and hundreds of articles and there's so many books in English of his and they're beautifully written. They used to call him a fanatic, like they call St. John Chrysostom a fanatic. He died at about 104, five years old. I met him. He was um, very zealous, fiery sermons, used to cry during them, would shout. He would put down politicians. He didn't care. Once he said in his talk that he went to some official office of the government in his area and he saw a priest just outside in the cold. He says to the priest, what are you doing here? He goes, I'm waiting to go in and they won't open the door because I'm waiting to get some papers. And he got upset. And because up there it's cold, he's wearing these boots, like really thick dummy boots. And he said to the priest, step aside. And he kicked the door. And he said in the talk, he goes, the cement render just crumbled <laughs> just to the ground. And he said, serve him and serve him now. He gave this moving story once. He said, I was set to do a talk at a church one afternoon. I went there and he said, no one was there. No one came. Slack Greek sometimes. It wasn't his area. This was before he got his own diocese. They moved him from place to place continually. Anyway, that's what they do. They consider them pests, move him there, move him there. Move him. So he was doing this sermon. He said, I'm, gonna, I'm still going to do it. And he did the sermon in the church with no one there. Years later, he met a man. And he goes, I want to say something to you, you know, your eminence. What? Thank you so much. From you, I changed my life. And he said, I heard one of your talks, your sermons, and from that sermon I changed. He goes, which sermon? He goes, the, the sermon on that day, that place. Is that. He goes, I remember that sermon, Bishop Augustine said. But there was no one in the church. He goes, no, I was there. I was behind the column. I was embarrassed, so I stayed behind the column and I heard it all. And I changed from that. I find that moving because sometimes when I've done talks, sometimes a lot of people don't come. I'm in the middle of Sydney, one of the, you know, so many Orthodox people, people come just out of it or something, whatever the reason. Sometimes they don't come, so. I continue on to the talk, record them, produce them, and now thousands are listening to them. Sometimes we only have 20 people, but now thousands are listening to them. I continue on. I'm not going to think. If two people come, two people come. It hasn't been two. It would be a bit embarrassing, but I'll still do it. So, he continued to write, even though they weren't publishing his writings, St. Justin. For St. Justin, it was only with all the saints that one can know and be a partaker in the mystery of Christ our God. With the saints. 
You can't partake of Christ without the saints. The lives of the saints are, quote, using St. Justin's words, dogma translated into life, end quote, and constitute the true, quote, encyclopedia of orthodoxy. The lives of saints are the encyclopedia of orthodoxy. Hmm, maybe that's why there's so much emphasis. What are we hearing today? This great saint. But you have said in other talks that there's got to be a general consensus. Maybe Saint Justin had these opinions, but it doesn't mean that the other people have these opinions. Yes, he was a great theologian, a great, but that's his, maybe it was his personal opinion. But I think so far we've heard a lot, and we're going to hear much more. I haven't even started yet. What books do you have? I've got this book and all these deep books. And I say, I don't even read those books. Everyone's got mania to buy books that are deep and that, in their opinion, make them feel good that they progress spiritually. And yet, in those lives of saints which we think are insignificant, we have the encyclopedia of orthodoxy. I wonder why. I wonder if that explains why the devils are so scared of the lives of saints, perhaps. Or maybe it was his personal opinion. Maybe I've picked a few people. Let's see who else says things. Oh, sorry. Now, in his writings, I paraphrase now because I couldn't, it's very difficult to understand his writings. But basically, he says an orthodox spiritual life is impossible without reading the lives of the saints. That's what I believe too. That's what I've noticed. And I have touched on it, but I, now I can say it with more boldness because I've got backup. Shortly before his death, he said to those standing round his bed, love the Greeks, they are our masters and our enlighteners. Remember, he studied in Serbia, he studied in Russia, he studied in all different places. Love the Greeks, they are our masters and enlighteners. What does that mean? Oh, because you're Greek, because your background is Greek, you're saying that. No, no. Why can't the Russians be our enlightened and masters? Why can't the Serbs? Why didn't you talk about it? he's Serbian? Why is he not saying the Serbians are enlightened as masters? Every single Orthodox country fell to communism except for Greece. Only Greece wasn't overcome. Why? Because Greece is strong in Orthodoxy. They are truly the enlighteners of the world for the Orthodox Church. From Constantinople to even now. The amount of monasteries they have, the wholeness that they've got. Man Athos, all over Greece, 
ascetic secret, we don't even know about them. The writings that they've produced, the original Greek language of the fathers. Actually, I was reading the life of St. Augustine, preparing to, to present to you St. Monica, but I didn't have time, I'm not going to do it, do it next time. The life of St. Monica, he was the mother of St. Augustine. In there, there was a comment about St. Augustine, because St. Augustine was a Latin saint, but before the schism. St. Augustine fell into heresy, but he's still considered an orthodox father because he was ignorant. He didn't stick to it like other heretics do. He made some mistakes, and he said, and he said clearly, if I've made any mistakes, I reject them. Whatever's not orthodox, I reject, and I accept only what the orthodox church teaches. He said that clearly, and he made some mistakes. And the commentary on his life, the person that wrote it said, one of St. Augustine's biggest mistakes was that he didn't learn Greek. Because then if you learned Greek, you would have been able to read the Holy Fathers, which the majority of their writings are in Greek. The Gospels are in Greek. The Epistles are in Greek. Oh, they tried the communists. They tried so much. We had the Turks four to five hundred years. Thessalonica was under the Turks for five hundred years. Southern Greece, 400 years. They did nothing. They're calling the Greeks. For example, the monastery of Atopedi in Menathos, they're teaching the Russians the true spirit of monasticism, which was lost, a lot of it, under communism. But Russia never had proper monasticism in the first place, except in pockets like Optina, different areas, there was true monasticism, and they were persecuted. They were hated. So that's why St. Eustine said, love the Greeks, they are our masters and our enlighteners. St. John of Shanghai and San Francisco was born in 1896 and was baptised with the name Michael after the Archangel Michael. Young Michael collected icons and religious and historical books, compiling a large library. And he loved, above all, to read the lives of saints. Russian saint now. Serbian saint, Russian saint, Greek saint. We've gone through them all today. One, one of each is about. He, above all, he loved to read the lives of saints. At night, he would stand for a long time at prayer. Being the oldest child, he had a great influence on his four brothers and one sister. And what did he teach them? He taught them the lives of the saints and the facts of Russian history, probably through the lives of the saints as well. Because as Saint Nestor, the, I think the Chronicle or something like that, he explained the Russian history through the lives of the saints. Even Putin knows that. And when Putin talks about the Russia's history, he connects it to the saints and to the Orthodox Church. There is no history of Russia without the Orthodox Church, except for paganism. 
Oh, yeah, he told, I saw once a little thing that he did. There. He was doing some talk, and he was mentioning St. Sergius, etc., etc., because that's it. There's no, there's no history in Russia without that. When he was 11 years old, Michael was sent to the Poltava Cadet Military Academy. When he graduated in 1914, he wished to attend the Kiev Theological Academy. His parents insisted, however, that he attend law school in Kharkov. Is that how you say it, Gregory? Kharkov? Kharkov. Out of obedience to them, he put away his own desire and began to prepare for a Korean law. Yeah, so he was obedient. But when we read other lives of saints, I'll explain later on, because I want to tonight hopefully try and explain to you why there's all these different lives of saints and how we can read them. But anyway, sometimes you read in a life of saint the child was disobedient and went to the monastery like Elder Porfirios and Elder Savas the New of Kalimnos. Then you got others who were obedient to their parents and got married when they didn't want to get married, etc., etc. How the difference? How do we know? We will learn that as we read the lives of saints. It was during his university years that the orthodox education and the mindset of orthodoxy, which Michael had received in his childhood, came to spiritual maturity. Young Michael saw that the lives of saints in particular contain a profound, which means deep, wisdom, which is not seen by those who read them superficially. Now, we can read the life of saint and look for the meaning, and, or we can read them superficially. Just skim through them or not read them properly or not contemplate them properly. But Michael, meaning Saint John, he read them in a very deep way. And that furthermore, that the proper knowledge of the lives of saints, this is what Saint John said, is more important than any university course so some of you that haven't gone to university don't worry you haven't missed much some of you haven't gone and you say to yourself oh you know you may be jealous a bit others have gone to university you haven't you might feel intimidated by that don't worry read the lives of saints and you get a higher degree than them higher than a BA a Bachelor of Arts Yep, higher than a Bachelor of Arts. How about a Zora's degree? Higher than Zora's degree. Sorry, Zora. <laughs> Lives of saints are higher than your degree. Yours is an important degree. It's good that you were what you did, but not as high as the university course, which is called the Lives of Saints. And it's strange to believe that in the seminaries, in the seminaries, where people are learning theology and all these things to become future priests, there's no subject called the lives of the saints. They've got patrology, the writings of the Holy Fathers and things like that, yes. But no one's got this, the subject, the lives of the saints. So today, I'm maybe fulfilling a secret fantasy of being a university lecturer 
because I'm teaching you about the lives of saints. And because I said the lives of saints is a university course, so I'm like a professor today. Does that mean we're students? Like students at my university at Carlton Hall. <laughs> See? With the benefits we're receiving, they're going to name the hall the University of Carlton. <laughs> okay. For example, his classmates notice that Michael spent more time reading the lives of saints than attending academic lectures. He was so wrapped in reading the lives of saints that he wouldn't even go to lectures. Although he did very well in his universal studies also. One could say that he studied the Orthodox saints precisely, quote, on the university level. He studied their various activities, their ascetical labours, and their practice of prayer. He came to love them with all his heart, was thoroughly penetrated by their spirit, and began to live like them. Michael, now a young man, finished his university studies in 1917, which was when the revolution happened. And who started the revolution? Was it Lenin? Lenin. Now we can say he was a devil, he was this, he was that, but really, was it Lenin's fault, the revolution? What did the saints say of whose fault it was? It was the fault of the Russian people because they had left the church and God permitted the red beast to come. Just like in Greece, when they went off, they lost Constantinople and the church of Hagia Sophia became a mosque. That was a punishment because they forgot their orthodoxy. They weren't living proper. And why did God allow the Turks to take over Greece for so many years? because of the sins of the Orthodox Greeks and the Serbians and Bulgarians. I don't know where they were, those Turks. Because some of you might think I'm anti-Russian. No, I'm just saying historical facts. I'm in the Russian church. Well, how can I be anti-Russian? That's too much. Now, let's move on. That's why the, the saints, the ones that really had good knowledge, they never really outright blamed Hitlers and all these people, they said, this is as a result of our sins. Because if we pray and we live in a spiritual life, then God wouldn't permit these things. Anyway, let's move on. His whole family was intensely loyal to the Orthodox Tsar, which resulted in their persecution. Thus, the seed of true Orthodoxy planted in Michael's childhood, took deep root in the soil of the heart of this chosen one of God and his knowledge and love of the different kinds of saints prepared his soul to struggle and endure the trials that he went through during these difficult years. The person that wrote this is saying that St John, then Michael, because he read the lives of saints, he was able to endure the trials and the struggles that he went through during those times, through the lives of saints. It doesn't say through the gospel. We have to really look at that. 
As the revolutionary spirit spread and the arrests began, his boldness became very dangerous and his family tried to persuade him to leave home and hide himself because young Michael, now a man, a young man, was openly putting down the communists and his parents were saying, stop, his family said, stop, they're going to arrest you, they're going to kill you or torture you. But he didn't do that. He goes, no. He only replied that there's nowhere to hide from God's will. Without God's will, nothing happens. Not one hair falls from our head. When you listen to that, you say, isn't that how the saints speak? He was arrested, then released after a month. After a short time, he was arrested again. But when it was seen that he seemed not to care whether he was free or in prison, he was soon released again. Already, he quite literally lived in another world and he simply refused to conform to the reality that governs the lives of most men. The reality meaning we are scared, we would be quiet, we would be... He didn't... No, didn't care about that. He lived in another world. He had resolved, he had decided to follow the path of God's law without wavering. So that's part of the life of St. John. God willing, in the next talk, I'm going to speak about when he became priest and bishop. You should see there what's written about him with a big focus on the lives of saints. Father Seraphim Rose once counselled a, a new orthodox writer. A man wrote to Father Seraphim and says, I want to become a, a person that writes orthodox articles can you give me some advice? And Father Seraphim Rose said to him, my advice is use the lives of saints. Father Seraphim said that when one is writing on a spiritual subject, one should try to not only discuss it in the abstract, but to give living examples from the lives of saints. What's this abstract mean? Well, I looked that up. It's like when you speak in theory, like, and not with examples, not with a practical application, just like I got an example, like, almsgiving is spiritually beneficial. That's an abstract. But then I can back that up with lives of saints, which were then people can grab onto. Almsgiving is spiritually beneficial. How? How is it beneficial? I'm just a statement. People need more than that. They need to be able to, con to grab onto something concrete so they can understand it. So you read the life of, of a saint who was an almsgiver. Another example, that, these are my examples. When you pray with faith, God answers your prayer. Abstract. How? What do you mean? So we read the lives of saints where we discover there so many examples of saints who prayed and received help. That's what Father Seraphim is saying. Don't speak, do your articles in the abstract, which is today, unfortunately, the majority of people, when they speak, it's all abstract with their Oxford language. They speak as if they're doing a lecture, like, you know, I don't like that. And they, they might quote the Bible, yes, but they don't mention the lives of saints, nothing. They might even mention... Uh, 
the teachings of the saints, some of them, yes, but they don't give any examples. They'll just quote, Saint John Chrysostom said this, that you need to be meek and humble. Okay, the Bible says that too. But someone's going to explain that to us soon. And we're going to see why we need the lives of saints. If I have any suggestions, these are, these are Father Seraphim's exact words, if I have any suggestions for your future articles, it would be simply to keep in mind the lives of the saints. In your article, there is a point that would be more forceful by references to the life of the author of the quotes who is a saint. So just don't quote the saints. Talk about them. Talk about their life. Make it a practical thing. I cannot just say a theory. I just can't do it. I'll either speak about a saint or an example of someone or a saint's example or even an example from the Bible, a practical example. That's what he's saying. It's much more forceful when you use examples. Just like when I was at school, I would teach a theory, that you could teach a theory, teach theory. How many degrees in a triangle? 180. And most teachers say, that's it, just do the exercises. I don't like that. Let's do some examples. You've got a triangle, and one's 90 degrees, the other one's 30. What's the other one? The kids are listening, oh, okay, 60, yep. Well, let's measure it. Let's use a protractor. Let's, let's physically measure each angle and see, oh, it does add up to 180. See, practical. And then they remember it better. But you just sit there like a galah and just say, oh, the, the 180 degrees in a triangle, as if it's a, a computer recording. So that's what Father Seraphim is saying, use the saints. That's why in his writings, he used, his, in his writings on the soul after death, his writings on the religion of the future, on UFOs and all of those things, he constantly is quoting the lives of the saints to back up what he's saying. And he even published books of the lives of the saints, or articles. He loved the lives of the saints. Saint Theophan the Recluse, 1894, he passed away. Saint Theophan the Recluse was a Russian Orthodox ascetic who would often warn Orthodox Christians not to read books or articles that only lead us away from the glorious teachings of the Orthodox faith. He said that Orthodox Christians should instead concentrate on what would benefit their souls, that is, the reading of the lives of the saints as well as Holy Scriptures and the lives of the Holy Fathers. He emphasised the reading of the lives of saints as well as the Holy Scriptures and the lives of the Holy Fathers, which is the lives of the saints again. Orthodox Christians should concentrate on what would benefit their souls. No philokalias, none of those big writings, the lives of saints, obviously, and the Bible. But I'm telling you now, that if you just read the Bible, you're going to become Protestant. You're not going to understand. 
you need the laws of science. Archimandrite Emilianos, which I've read in the talks on marriage, if you remember. He was the previous abbot of the monastery of Simonos Petras on Mount Athos. He, still alive I think he is, he writes, quote, we are not alone on the road or in the struggle. We have with us our mother, the all-holy mother of God, our guardian angel, the saint whose name we bear, and those close friends we have chosen out of the great multitude of saints who stand before the Lamb, meaning Christ. They stand in front of Christ's throne in heaven. When we stumble into sin, when we fall into sin, they, the saints, will raise us up again. When we are tempted to give up hope, when we become hopeless, they will remind us that they also suffered for Christ before us and more than us, they suffered more than us, and that they are now experiencing unending joy. So upon the stony road, the difficult road of life, these holy companions will enable us to glimpse the light of the resurrection. Then he says, let us search then in the lives of the saints for these close friends and with all the saints let us make our way to Christ. Simple, beautiful, and this is one of the good monasteries in Mount Athos. Forgot to mention as well St. Eustin Bobbage. When we went there, we met a, one of the nuns that was an old nun, Mother Justina. She was a spiritual child of St. Justin Popovich, and she knew him. And she took us up to his room. So we went to his room, and it was very interesting. All over the room, on every single part of the wall, were icons. And she said a few things, but one thing I remembered. She said, every day he would do a prostration or bow, I forgot what she said, to every single icon, to every single saint. This great brain, one can say, this, this, this dogmatic theologian that had studied at, I think, Oxford and all these places, This great man would bow in front of the saints. Every day. And that really hit me. So, Archimandrite Emilianos, he says, search them. Because they're close friends. They are close friends. Do we have a relationship with the saints as our friends? If the answer is no, then form one. If the answer is yes, that's good, get closer. Father Agapios Landros, you don't know who he is, doesn't matter, I'll tell you later. 17th century Orthodox, sorry, Athenite monk. Quote, a person is touched more deeply and benefits more by reading one beautiful life of a saint than by discourses and philosophies, than by other writings and things like that, articles. A person is touched more deeply and benefits more by reading one beautiful life of saint. So who is this person? 
There was a book that was produced in Greece during the time of the Turks. It was called The Salvation of Sinners. Very popular book. And he published that book and spread it and gave throughout Greece during the Turkish times and helped many Orthodox to repent. Those who had, who had fallen away from the church to help them to come back or help those who were thinking of falling away to remain where they were. It was a very powerful book. And what I think, I, don't, I couldn't find much on him, but I'm assuming that he was a person who would publish and produce uh, material which would benefit people, not these theoretical lectures. And he produced that book, but his quote was, read the lives of saints because that's where you're going to get the benefit from it. Obviously in that book as well, but he emphasised the lives of saints. But today people consider a great writing, Shakespeare's works, Harry Potter, they're so fantastic, they say. C.S. Lewis, for example, The Lion, The Witch and the Wardrobe. Because they say, oh, because C.S. Lewis uses Christian symbolism the lion represents Christ, and the wardrobe, who knows? I just I only got as far as that because I fell asleep. I just was, and then it's got things about good and evil in there. Like even Harry Potter's books, Harry Potter's good, and this Baltimore, Baltimore, whatever his name is, he's the evil. And there's this fight between good and evil, even though Harry Potter does magic and can hurt people. That he was representing what? Christ? I don't know who he was representing. One Orthodox priest told me, he said, with his daughter, when the daughter was young, that they watched E.T. together. E.T. E.T. was an old movie about some creature that came from our space and was hiding in a young boy's room. Extraterrestrial, I think it means E.T. And he said, we watched it and we got so much deep meaning out of it. And we cried together. I said, oh, where's the violin? What is that? What is that? If I knew how to play a violin, I would have said, just wait a minute, and play it while he's talking, playing the violin. And we watched it and we cried together. It was so meaningful, deep meaningful. My question is, why do you give... Yeah, okay, if a person's not a Christian... If a child's not a Christian, you might use these rubbish books and then bring them to, you know, tell them there's meaning there and somehow bring them to Christianity. But these, his do- it's a priest's daughter. What does she need to listen to E.T.? Not watch E.T.? When they've got the lives of saints. Is that mind-boggling or what? I think we all should shake our heads in shock. Now, on the reading of the lives of saints from the instructions of St. Anthony of Varennes, who passed away in 1846. St. Anthony of Varennes quotes a Metropolitan Michael of St. Peterburg. I don't know whether this father, that Metropolitan was, is now a saint. I don't know who he is, when he lived. I know that St. Anthony is quoting him. So he's quoting him as a holy person and really respecting his words. Just a second. 
after speaking about ET, my mouth dried up. It was just... <laughs> really, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Fancy got lives as saints, beautiful lives as saints, and I read from a traditional supposed magazine that someone put down Harry Potter and then these people, these Orthodox writers, said, how dare that person put down this literature that if the Holy Fathers lived in our times, they'd be shocked that this fanaticism exists in the church. In other words, it's fanaticism to talk against Harry Potter. And how many kids got affected and how many people grew up becoming interested in magic. That was very powerful. Those books and that film was powerful. The devil done a good job with that one. Like in our times, we were affected too. Some people watched um, the Rainbow one. What's that one what's it called? With Julie Garland? What's, what's that one? There was a witch in there, wasn't there? Witchy poo or something. Wizard of Oz. There was a witch in there. And some other cartoons we watched. I didn't watch Richard of Oz, by the way. Uh, I wasn't into musicals. But other cartoons and things with witches and sorceries and I, And that was bad. And they influenced us. But Harry Potter, she was a gifted writer in a way. She was a gifted writer, but she, that rolling woman, but she rolled into something which was really bad. She didn't use her gift for good. And she became rich, destroying souls. So Metropolitan Michael, whoever he is, doesn't matter. The thing is, St. Anthony of Varenz, a great saint of the Russian church, he's quoting him. Let's, let's hear his words. He that has not yet read the lives of saints has not read much of value. For in these lives, graceful virtues appear in bright forms, the virtues of the saints. In these lives, the gospel truth shines forth in examples. And in these lives, examples are to be found which lead one to a holy life. So, the lives of saints are practical examples of the gospels. Which then, when we read the lives of saints, we can understand better the gospel. Maybe I can say it like this. Lives of saints is like primary school. The gospel is high school. How can you read the gospel if you haven't read the lives of saints? So how can you do high school if you haven't gone through primary school, elementary school? See? That's what happened to the Protestants. The Protestants, we don't need the lives of saints. They just jump straight into the Bible. And what happened? Women priests, homosexual priests, gay marriages. Some even say abortion's all right. But how did they come to that? How did they get to the stage of that? And how do they justify that you can marry two people of the same sex when it's quite clear, and you know, I had to research it because it was just too much. How do they explain it? I would say, 
It says it so clearly, a man and a woman. How do they explain it? So they say, where St. Paul talks about that two men can't be together, etc., he's talking about people who haven't got love and they're just sleeping around with all different people. But if they've got love, then it doesn't apply what's in the Bible. But it says man and woman. But what are they doing now? They're changing the word, all these genders. They don't want the word man and they don't want the word woman. They don't like the word girl. They want the word boy. Why is that? To take it out of the Bible. So then later on, it's they're going to say that God said, and it's not, I'm not joking because I don't laugh, I'm not, so it's not a joke, but they're going to say, God said that it shall leave its family and join to another it who leaves its family and the two its will join together and become one. There's all these things, but they're already starting to say it. The Bible's got too many references to Jews in there. It's anti-gay. And they're trying to now in America pass some type of law that Christianity is a hate group, that Christianity is a um, terrorist group because they're terrorising people. Look what happened to the footballer. Was he a footballer? He's a footballer here in Australia as some type of preacher, as a Protestant, does preaching in the church, and they discovered from his tweets or from his um, preaching that he's against homosexuality. So all the sponsors of that particular football, his football, is it? All the sponsors of that football team say, oh, we're not going to advertise with you anymore. So all the big people of that team, the high ups, they said, no, you've got to say sorry. You've got to say sorry, and he's one of the best ones. They, they really want this guy. I don't, I don't know who he is, but they really want him because he's a very good footballer. So they're giving him away. Just say sorry. He goes, I can't do that. Now, this man's going to lose a lot of money. Millions, millions, millions he's going to lose. And all he has to do is say, sorry, I won't do it anymore. And guess what he said, from what I heard? I haven't followed it. They say, he said, no, I'm not doing that. And now everyone's gone crazy. I think it's backfiring a bit because a lot of people are saying, that's his belief, that's his religion, if that's what he believes, what's that got to do with the football? But the thing is that what's God going to say to us on the last day when we're going to be there in judgment, where we're going to say we didn't confess our faith? And he's going to say, but... This guy wasn't even orthodox and he confessed his faith and he lost millions and he lost a lot and he stood up for what he believes. I think we're going to be really, really in trouble that we can't even speak up for certain things. He's making, he's making a stance. I'm shocked. That does that mean he's going to be saved? I don't know. I don't even know if I'm going to be saved. It's up to God. But I know that we will be judged So, the gospel truths shine forth in examples which lead one to a holy life. From the lives of saints, Saint, this Metropolitan Michael continues, we see more clearly the invisible world where Christ our God, the Son of Righteousness, shines. 
What significance do the works of worldly teachers, these intellectuals, these people, have in comparison to the works of Saint Dimitri of Rostov, the lives of saints? What comparison can you have with them? Why would you read them, he's saying? What are those vain views, these falsehoods, beside the exalted truths which sparkle like precious stones in these holy writings, which holy writings? The lives of the saints. Is that powerful? So far we're reading a lot of things today. The reading, he continues, the reading of idle works leads to error, to deception, to a sinful life. But the reading of the lives of the saints, those who have pleased God, contains all that is necessary for our salvation, for temporal happiness, means while we're still on earth, and eternal blessedness in the next life, obviously. He continues, The lives of the saints teach us how to fulfil the commandments of the Lord. Now, Metropolitan Michael, we can say, and Anthony of Varennes, because he's quoting him. St. Anthony, why are you using these writings? Why don't we just read the gospel to learn the commandments of God? Why do we have to read the lives of saints? Maybe St. Anthony's wrong too. Are all these people wrong tonight? And the Protestant Orthodox are correct? The Lord said in the gospel, now this part knocked me around. I was going to delete it. I said, I think we can just leave it there. I don't understand this next part. And I was going to delete it, and I said, no, leave it. And then I did it again. I was going to delete it. No, better leave it. And then as we're doing it again with someone that's helping me to type up, I said, "Um, I don't know. I think I'm going to delete this. Because how am I going to explain this? It's just too confusing for me. Just stop there. But I'll tell you what what he said. This is what Bethlehem Michael said. The Lord said in the gospel, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Matthew chapter 11, line 29. I said, it's just stuck in there. Now what I'm going to do, I do have to go and get the interpretations because I don't interpret the gospel by myself. I have to read the interpretations because I could make a mistake. I'll explain the lies of saints to you, but I won't without an aid explain Bible sections because they're pure, they're raw. So I was going to delete it and suddenly, just as I was going to delete it, something came to my mind and and because I read the next part, it says, because Metropolitan Michael asks the question, what do meekness and loneliness mean? And how are we adorned with, by these virtues? How do we get these virtues? I said, this is going to take me too long. And then I read the next part and I got it. Read the lives of saints. The saints, those earthly angels and heavenly men, will teach you what Christ means. They'll teach you through the lives of the saints. You will learn and I will learn what is written in there? The Protestants don't have that. They don't have the lives of saints. They don't believe in them. They rejected them from Luther onwards. 
and they are a mess. And you've got women bishops. So when the first woman bishop was going to be made a bishop, I don't know which church, and then the male bishop was going to go up to put on her the mitre, which looks like a chef's hat, whatever. So the bishop came up and because it was a man, she didn't want the man to do it. So she grabbed the, that hat, the bishop's hat that they got, and she put it on herself and goes, I'm a bishop. Straight like that, I'm a bishop. And that was it. From then on, they had women. Gays, women, probably soon transgender bishops, transgender priests. Now, I'm not against women being bishops. I've told you this before. I'm not against women being bishops, and I'm not against women priests. Okay. Now, Gregory's thinking to himself, what's going on? Where have I come? Is this man crazy? Maybe I'm crazy. Yes, I'm not against it, as long as it's not in the Orthodox Church. If it's in their church, they can do whatever they want. They can have Donald Duck as a bishop. <laughs> Doesn't bother me. They can have even Ronald McDonald. That's, that's Catholic Church. They, yeah, they've got clown priests now. And because this animal thing, the pets, and um, there's such an emphasis on the dogs and the cats, soon you're going to have the dogs being bishops as well. But you're laughing. I remember years ago when I was a layperson, I did a talk and I said, oh, you know, I was talking against the earrings, that men were having earrings. Because back in those days, they had one ear. I said, ah, oh, they got in one ear. Because we, women have two earrings, obviously. But not now, because you know, they look like men anyway. And I said, soon they're going to be wearing them in two, two ears. And I said to myself, mm, that's a bit, like, a bit overdone. Like, is that, how can you get to the stage that they're wearing two earrings? And now everywhere you go, you think there's these, that these pirates everywhere with these earrings on them. His earrings with canaries hanging from them, and it's like they got they're like these things that you see in the in the cages, those little round rings, the canaries sitting on it. A bit too much, isn't it? And it happened. So don't laugh about the, the the dogs. They dress them up now. Have you seen them? They dress them up, suits and bows and everything. But uh, they even got bows in their in their hair, bows on their tails. Special food. They get, they, they get really nice food, those dogs. dogs go. Did you know I heard a fact? In San Francisco, there are more dogs than children. Does that, I think that tells you everything. There's more dogs than children. They prefer dogs than children and the cats. It's really sad. So I think that was really, really good, that part from St. Michael. And the last one of this section, and we're going to have a little, a few minute break. Saint Paisios. Let's see what he says about the lives of saints. Read the lives of saints as much as possible, 
for these lives emphasize repentance and you can be helped by them. Do not start reading dogmatic books because they are not suitable for beginners, Zora. You see that? Not suitable for beginners. If you are uneducated, do not read them at all. So he's trying to say you don't have the mental capacity to even understand them, even on an intellectual level, which can lead you then into error. He says, if you are uneducated, do not read them at all, even at a later stage. Even if you progress, if you're uneducated, don't read them. For in the same way that someone who's uneducated falls into delusion from the philokalia and misunderstands it, so too can dogmatic books lead such a one into deception. The Synaxarian, says St. Paisios, the lives of saints. Synaxarian means lives, I think it's a Greek word. Synaxarian means the lives of saints, the collection. Is very helpful because one can find in these books whatever vitamin is, his soul is in need of, whatever spiritual vitamin the soul needs, you find him in the lives of saints. The life of the saint of the day is also beneficial to read. So other Paisios emphasised the lives of saints. He was totally against even certain monks to read difficult books, either on dogma or on deep spiritual life. Now, I do the same. But you're not a saint. doesn't matter. I, I follow what the saints say. I don't like it. When someone starts reading stuff, I say, you've got to stop. And if they don't stop, I say to them, bye-bye. That's it. I've got a few things that I don't tolerate. I don't like when people abuse their kids. It makes me sick. If they abuse them, like not bringing them up properly, that bothers me. Or spouses abusing each other. And the other thing is, you send your child to a Catholic school, Protestant school, then we're finished. No more. I wrote to someone in Melbourne, they wrote to me, they, they were thinking of sending their daughter to a Catholic school. But through prayers and all that, she got into the best state school down there and they said it was a miracle. I said, well, that's what prayer does. They said, no one can understand how we even got into that school because we weren't in the area and if we, she didn't get into that school, we're going to send her to Catholic school. And I said, it's good that she went to that school to some degree because if she did go to the Catholic school, I would have told you not to write to me ever again. I said it to him straight out. Don't write. No, I will not communicate with people who do that. I just don't do it. I don't like it. It's her heresy. I can sit down all night and talk about it. I don't want to. I've done it before. You cannot do that. Now you say, oh, but the state school's bad. Even St. John Grisdom says you've got more chance of changing a person that's been brought up immorally. Immorally. We've all been brought up immorally, by the way. We all led very, very bad lives, a lot of us. But heresy is a different thing. Heresy cuts us off from God. But doesn't sin, doesn't fornication, doesn't these things cut you off from God? Look, I can talk to a person, a man that's living with a woman, so they're doing obviously having sexual relations. And I talk to that person. 
they're orthodox, but they don't go to church. They're even, not even aware properly that what they're doing is a sin. They don't even know. I can talk to that person a lot of times. I can talk to a gay person who's doing sin. And I can connect. I can tell I'm, I'm influencing them to some degree, yes. Because they're ignorant. They don't know. They were brainwashed from young. But when I talk to a person that's been to one of those schools, it's like you're talking to an, a nice cube. Just really cold, disconnected. Disconnected altogether. I've done so many talks at schools when I did those, those talks when I was a layperson. Kingsgrove North. 100 kids in year seven, Next group, 100 kids in year eight. Next group, 100 kids in year nine. Next group, 100 kids in year 10. That was just one school, I did other schools. That one was really, and sometimes the priest didn't come. He used to do, he used to do Greek, I, I'll do English. Sometimes he didn't come. So I had them all for myself. Because he used to teach them with four, four teachers. He used to have 25 in each classroom. And there was a mess and I was screaming and shouting. And I said to him, look, get rid of the others who can't, can't even control them. Let's put them in the hall. And it's just me and you. And he loved it. And I would teach. And apart from a couple that were possessed, I had connection. They were listening. They were absorbed. But when I talk to the ones that have been to these heterodox schools, they look at you like that, they do faces, they're all distorted. Once I went to a house to, to visit this person that was a wheelchair person, orthodox, and there was a young lady, I think I've told you, we were talking and I said, what school did you go to? She goes, Catholic school. I go, really? I was a lay person, I wasn't a priest. And I said, she was holding a glass of water and she was sitting on the lounge chair. And then she goes, to Catholic school. I said, oh, you know, it's very bad. Catholic school's this, this, and this. And she started shaking. She put the cup down and she fell back like a force threw her back on the chair. This is very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. And I can give you a lot more examples. It's very, very bad. And priests even send their kids there. Even priests. Sometimes when you see things like you say, oh, maybe it's the end of the world. You know, you get that kind of hopeless thing. Maybe it is the end of the world. Orthodox priests sending their kids. And then I watch a documentary of these Melakites. They're in Lebanon, I think, Melakites. They're Catholics. They do everything Orthodox, Unions, and up in Ukraine the same. I think on the west, the western side of Ukraine. They're called Uniates. They're Catholic that look and do everything the same as the Orthodox, everything, the creed, everything except for one thing. We say for our patriarch, Kirill, they say for our Holy Father, whatever, he, who was it now? Franco, what was his name? Francis, Pope of Rome. That's the only difference. You wouldn't, you have to listen who they commemorate, you couldn't even tell the difference. Except the fact that their churches have no grace. 
If you look at a video of Orthodox clergy, even the worst, and you look at a video of Uniates, how they're, when they're doing services, it's like the Uniate ones are just like men that have just put on the priest's vestments. There's nothing on them. There's nothing there. But when you watch an Orthodox one, even if it's a really off bishop, there's still something there. And I remember when I went to buy some tiles many years ago, I think I told you that one too, I was speaking to um, James, his name was, Catholic. He, he used to want to talk about religion. I said, don't, I don't do that. And he goes, come on, Father, let's talk about... I said, he goes, I'm married to an Orthodox. Said, and he was going on with his, with his rubbish. And then one day he said to me that he goes to... Orthodox church, because I go to Orthodox churches, I go to baptisms, weddings, I go, okay. And what do you, and this is, he's still saying that the Catholic's better and this and that, whatever. And I said to him, so what do you notice when you go to the Catholic versus when you go to the Orthodox? He goes, when I go to the Orthodox church, I feel that God is in there. He actually confessed it without even realizing it. Because I feel that God is in the Orthodox church. So what do you feel when you're in the Catholic Church? Oh, nothing. Interesting. So when you go to a union church, it's the same. But how do these unions get all this? Those people were all Orthodox. The ones in Lebanon, the Melakites, they were all Orthodox too. How did they get them? How did they do it? Ready? Catholic schools. They went into villages, areas, towns, where it was all Orthodox, not one Catholic. What business did they have there? And they set up Catholic schools, and then they say to the Orthodox, no fees. And the Orthodox, they're desperate, stupid, don't know their faith, ran. They ran to them and they converted them. They used the Catholic schools. Okay, let's have a break, a five minute break, and then we've got more interesting, beautiful things. Someone during the break said to me that Abbot Emilianos, that his mother would get him up early in the morning to do prayers together and read to him the lives of saints. Very interesting. So I've read now 12 examples from the lives of saints which make reference to the lives of saints. Elder Porfirios, Elder Paisios, Elder Cleopa, all those saints. Now I'm going to read for you from the life of St. Paisios Velichovsky, who passed away in 1794. But this particular story happened about 100 years after his death in one of his monasteries that he established. And this will help us to understand why the demons fear those who read the lives of saints. So the story goes as follows. I have done this years ago, but I think we're going to do it again. Some years after the repose of the righteous Paisios, the strictness of the monastery's life began to grow slack. So the monastery he established was very strict in Romania, 
and from that monastery spread the correct monastic life into Russia. On one hand, because of the great wealth it had acquired, and on the other, because of the great freedom that was allowed to people of the world who came to visit the monastery. It's true that some monasteries, due to a miraculous icon or relics of a saint, things like that, they can become very rich from the donations. And what happens is that the monastics can become slack. It doesn't mean we don't give donations to monasteries. It's very important. However, that donations should be used by the monastery in, in good ways. Sometimes they lose themselves. Some came with their whole families to stay in the monastery for two or three months during the summer, spending their time in various worldly entertainments. The monks became negligent in their prayer rules and, pro and program and began rather to care for their vineyards and gardens in the monastery's properties. One of the disciples of the saintly Paisios was Sophronios, and he was the abbot at the time. And he led a very strict spiritual life. Sometimes you can have people that are leading spiritual lives and then the rest, a lot of them are not. It happens all the time. One night, thinking that it had already dawned, Sophronius went out by the monastery's gate and looked towards the outer gate at the place where the holy spring lies today. There he saw a man, black in appearance and fearful in form. He wore the uniform of a military officer and cried loudly, as officers do when they're giving orders to their troops. His eyes were blood red and shone like flames of fire. His mouth was like that of an ape and his teeth protruded from his mouth. At his waist he had entwined around him a large serpent, a snake, whose head hung down with its tongue hanging out like a sword. Now, obviously it's the demons, but you would understand that that's not how demons look, but God makes them appear like angels. We don't really see how an angel looks. Angels don't have wings. But in the icons, or when they appear to people, they can appear as people, but they also can take on different appearances to help us understand like an angel with the wings to show that the angel goes around and helps people and is heavenly. It doesn't mean in reality that they've got wings. It's a spirit with an intelligence, yes, and devils don't um, have red eyes, but they appear to people so that people can have an understanding of how ugly they are and how disgusting and how scary they are. So this is all allowed by God to be seen in that way. Because we're human, God uses, like when it says that heaven is full of beautiful rivers and trees and nice fruit and things like that, helps people understand and have an understanding of heaven. But that's not how it is. It's spiritual. But because we're still human, we're in our bodies, we need these descriptions to help us. That's what the church teaches us. On his shoulders there were things shaped like the head of 
asps, that's venomous snakes, on his, on his shoulders, and on his head he wore a hat from which venomous snakes extended their bodies and wrapped themselves like hair around his neck. When the abbot Sophronios saw this, he became petrified from fear. After a while, he came to himself somewhat and asked the officer of darkness what he sought, what was he looking for on the monastery premises at such an hour. Can it be that you do not know that I am the chief commander here in your monastery, answered the black one. Don't you know I'm the chief? I'm, I'm the one in charge at this monastery. In charge of what? In charge of the other demons that were there. We have no army here, said Sophronios, and our country is enjoying a period of profound peace. Then the black one answered, then be it known to you that I am sent from the unseen hosts of darkness and we are here to wage war against the monastic order. We all should know that when the devil and his angels fell from heaven, there was, one can say, there was all these spaces up there and the monastics and those others who obviously attain holiness, they replace, they take their place and they don't like that. They're jealous, they've got hate and they know that the monastics achieve this from their lives and he tries to stop them. So he fights most of all monastics. more than lay people. There's an expression that the demons will leave 100 lay people if it can make one monastic fall into sin. That's more important to him than the, than the lay people. Why? Because if you can make a monastic, a priest, say, bishop or something fall, then that will scandalise Christians and more people will go away from the church. So it's a really powerful thing that when a person wearing a rasa, like I'm wearing, when they fall into sin. When you make your promises at your tonsha, the time that you become a monk or a nun, you declare an unseen warfare on us and you inflict many wounds on us with your spiritual weaponry. So when a monk becomes, or a nun becomes, when they become monks and nuns, they make promises during the services, then their hair's cut, etc., and then they're dressed. And during that time, they make promises, and the promises are they're going to fight the demons. And then this demon here is saying that this inflicts many wounds. What wounds? What, what, what's hurting them? It's like he's saying, you torture us. You wound us when you make these promises and later on you use these spiritual weapons against us. What are they, these spiritual weapons? Fasting, prostrations, prayer, vigil, confession, revealing of thought, spiritual reading and above all obedience. These things kill them. It's like you're stabbing them. That's how much they hate it. And isn't it funny that those are the things a lot of times that Christians 
Don't do. Many times, the demon says, we retreat in shame since the flame of your prayers burn us. Yes, like I said before, the monasteries of Mount Athos, all those monasteries all over Greece and all over the world, when they pray, it burns them. They don't like it. it they hate it. Actually, when the possessed people go to the Orthodox churches, Russia and Greece and all that, and they go near the relics of the saints, like, for example, St. Erasmus, who has a special gift for healing the possessed, and the people go there that are possessed, and um, when they go near St. Erasmus's relics, the demons within the people begin to scream out, and say, you're burning me, you're burning me, you're burning me. They burn. Like when you get an atheist and you talk to him about spiritual things or put him near something, go to a church or something, they go, ah, oh, don't like it, this is burning me in here. But sometimes the demons use that as a trick so, for example, someone who's proud, a priest, and he starts reading exorcisms, then the, the demon can go, oh, you're burning me, your prayers, they're burning me, but they're not. They want him to fall into pride, which he already has. That's why they're burning. You have, when you read the person, you've got to have holiness. Any priest can put on a petrahili and read someone, but... The thing is, if you read with faith and you've got holiness, then it burns them. But sometimes they make it up. You're burning us to trick them. Ever since he came here from the holy mountain, meaning St. Paisios, ever since he came here from the holy mountain with 60 other monks, I was sent with 60,000 of our own troops to stop him, with 60,000 demons, in other words. As long as he was in charge, we had no rest. In spite of all the temptations, all the devices, the tricks and the, the traps that we set to try and make the monks to stop their struggles or to fall into sin, we accomplished nothing while St. Paisius was there. At the same time, words cannot describe what terrible afflictions, hardships and trials we suffered during the time that that man lived here. See the disdain? That man, St. Paisius. They couldn't even say his name. Like they can't say Christ's name. He was an experienced soldier and his strategies always caught us off guard. They couldn't accomplish much. But you like the afflictions? Like he actually describes when a Christian fights him with spiritual weapons, it's like you are tormenting them. And they are, they're tormenting. I think one possessed person that was asked from a holy priest, what bothers you the most? He goes, when a Christian repents and goes to confession, that kills us. That kills us. However, after he died, things let up a bit, and we were able to remove 10,000 of our troops from this front, from this monastery. And so 
50,000 of us were left. When the monks began becoming negligent in the monastic rule and began having more concern for their fields and houses and vineyards, we relieved another 10,000 of our troops of their duties here and the remaining 40,000 stood by to continue the fight. Then a few years later, some of the monks decided to change Paisus' rule and the monks became divided and some left. In the meantime, laymen were allowed to rent rooms in the monastery and when they brought their women in also, we had a victory celebration and reduced our troops by another 10,000. They even allowed women to stay there a long period of time. Why did they rejoice? Because the monks would be tempted and could fall and probably did fall. Later, when the schools for young boys were opened, the battle came very near to an end. And we were able to reduce our troops by another 10,000 leaving only 20,000 of us to take care of the monks. As you know from the monastic books, we read that when youth that wanted to become monks, they had no beads, they had to go to another monastery and not in the monastery with the monks because their faces were smooth and they looked like women. And this was no good for the monks, so they weren't allowed to stay there. And these silly people opened up a boys' school at the monastery. When the abbot Sophronius heard these things, he groaned within himself and asked the black one, what further need have you to remain in the monastery, seeing how, as you admit, yourself you admit, the monks have given up their fight. What further work is there left for you? Why are you here then? If there's boys and women and this and that, what's the point in being here? The older Sophronius said to the demon, then being constrained, in other words, being forced, because the demons don't like to admit their tricks, but sometimes God forces them to say the truth. Then being constrained, forced by the might of God, the ugly one revealed his secret. It is true that there's no longer anyone to fight against as of old, since your love has grown cold and you have become absorbed with worldly and earthly affairs. But there is still one thing left in the monastery that disturbs us and causes us anxiety. It is those filthy rags. What are these filthy rags? Do you know? Do people know? Remember this story from before? Those filthy rags, he says. That's what we're worried about. And he says straight after that, it's those filthy rags, I mean the books. Then he says, perdition take them. In other words, may they be destroyed out of here. Like when the Soviets took over Russia and communism and all that, one of the first things they did was to burn the holy books because the demons made them do it. I mean the books that you have in your library utter destruction to them. We live in fear and trembling lest any of the younger monks ever take them into his hands and begin reading them. Once they begin reading those accursed rags, see how he's speaking about the books with such disgust. It burns them. It truly does. Those books, he said, 
In other words, he there scared that some young monk might come, a beginner, and say, oh, I might start reading the books. And he actually says, once they begin reading these accursed rags, they learn of your ancient piety of how you lived in the past and your ancient enmity against us and how when you lived in this proper way, you fought us. You, your, your spiritual life killed us, in other words. And the little upstarts begin raging against us. Upstarts is, like it says, the nobodies, the ones who we didn't care about, suddenly take these books, start reading them, start to apply them, and then knock us out again. We can't allow that, he's saying. These monks will then learn that the Christians of old, both lay and monastic, used to pray unceasingly, they used to fast, examine and confess their thoughts, used to keep vigil and live as though they were strangers and foreigners in this world. We don't want them to know those things. Then, simple-minded as they are, he's calling these people that might attempt to read these books, simple-minded, these idiots, these stupid people, that's how he's talking about them, but are they stupid if they're going to read the books? But anyway, that's how he's referring to them. Then, simple-minded as they are, they actually begin putting that foolishness into practice. So the devil's calling the content of the book's foolishness, stupidities, for him. That's his attitude towards spiritual books. Furthermore, they even take all the scriptures seriously and from reading these books, suddenly they begin to even take more notice of the Bible. They rave against us and abuse us like wild beasts. See the descriptions of what he's saying. This is how he's describing. If just by someone reading a book and trying to apply it, he calls it like they're with this, he says that the monks are angry and that they're fighting us like wild beasts. That's how they look at it. Let me tell you, one of those hot-headed fools is enough to chase us all out of here. They become as cruel and uncompromising with us as your executed leader, meaning Christ. No, it doesn't say the name. Your executed leader. See the disdain? And he calls the monks or the nuns who read these books cruel and uncompromising. That's how they look at it. We have come to have such peace and harmony with you. Isn't that like so well said, even by the black one? He actually said, when you don't read these books, when you don't read the gospel, when you don't try and apply these things, we live in harmony. We're like friends. Where is it? Peace and harmony together. And what the church fathers call is satanic peace and unity. There's two types of peace. Christ said, I come to bring the sword 
mother against daughter, etc. Sometimes, not that we're causing it, but they are against the Christians because they live in a spiritual life and there's enmity, there's this friction. Christ said that's going to happen. But then some people say, oh, I don't want to have uh, this type of uh, enmity, I don't want to be in this struggle, these fights continually with the demons, so I'm going to become friends with them. How do you become friends with a demon? Simple. Simples, as I says on the commercial. How? How do you do it? By not reading the books and not trying to apply Christ's commandments. If you do that, you gain yourself a friend. But those so-called spiritual books of yours are a constant source of hate and disturbance. It's like it says those books is like they hate us or those books disturb us. That's true because they're, they're demons. They don't like that. Why can't we have peace, says the black one. Why can't we have peace? Why don't you read my books? Are they not spiritual also? For I too am a spirit, am I not? And I too inspire men to write books. When I say things like that, people go, oh, that's so fanatical. When you say the person that wrote Harry Potter was inspired by the demons. There are people that don't like that, even spiritual people. You can't speak like that, it's fanatical. And the demon, he's admitting that he inspires, just like the saints, like we have here. An icon of St. John Chrysostom writing his explanations of the Gospels and the Epistles. And invisibly, as you can see here, is St. Paul, who's speaking into his ear, which means that St. Paul was enlightening him of what to write. So when people write holy things, they've been inspired. And when people write things that are bad, they've been inspired by the demons who are also standing next to them and whispering in their ears, write this, write that, write this, do this. Like some of those films. Look at these new films that got out. Yeah, it's all slow. The transgender ones. I think they haven't done that one yet. Are they? I think a little bit, but the one that's coming out a lot now is young kids who find out that they're gay and what happens is Nicole Kidman did it and, and fat Russell Crowe. And they did a movie, they were the mother and father, and um, he, their son was gay and they took him to this place to try and get him out of that. And it's shown, shown how bad it was, that place, of trying to change them. And um, that the boy finally said, no, I'm going to live my life. And then he found some guy, etc., etc. And the movie's... It's done so emotionally, so powerful. There's another one of a boy that he wanted to meet someone and then it was all on the internet and finally they met each other and they went on the Ferris wheel and as they were going around on the Ferris wheel, they kissed together and all the school kids that were at the carnival were clapping like that, that they found love. Here's the movie's been produced. Why? Because... 
They've been inspired. These movies are demonically inspired. And they're powerful. I'm not going to hide the fact they're very powerful. People watching go, well, what's wrong, you know? He was lonely, poor Simon, I think his name was. Poor Simon's lonely. He met the other guy, and now they're in love. Say so or make it sound really nice. They've got the music in the background. You've got Hollywood, all the cinema, the shots. Powerful. Euthanasia films. They're going to come out more because they want to pass the law to make uh, euthanasia legal. And you're going to see a lot of films on that and the person's dying and suffering and it's so cruel and this and that and then, you know, how uh, they need to be able to make their own decisions. They did a lot of films on abortion as well. They got that law passed in the 70s, not 73. So all this is satanically inspired. He said that. He said, I too am a spirit. I write spiritual things. And they are spiritual, those things. But demonic spirit. But all that is needed is for one of those wretched rags which you call sacred books to fall into the hands of some simple fool and a whole eruption begins anew and we are forced to flee and take up weapons against you once more. See what he said? Those wretched rags. Now I'm going to tell you a story, because I know you like the stories. I'm going to cut the vision a little bit and tell you a story of what happened to me. So when I was a layperson, a man said, I'm going to bring some of my friends over, and I want you, Greek, pe Greek people, and I want you to talk to them about orthodoxy. I go, oh. Okay, I was a bit surprised. I said, all right. So they came over, and with them, this guy came in, and he was walking in with his hand to the side so I don't see him. And he plucked himself on the couch in my house, which I, I found out later on. No one invited him. He, somehow he found out about it, and he came. So what the story with him was, I've, so I've mentioned this somewhere back years ago, so what happened was he was a Jehovah Witness. I think he was a witness of Jehovah. I think that's the right terminology. But I just say Jehovah Witness. That's what I'm used to. Uh, but the right English is, I think, a witness of Jehovah, something like that. Anyway, which they don't believe in Christ as God. And he was born into that faith. His mother was Greek Orthodox. She became Jehovah. And when he was born, he became one. And then at an older age, he went to Greece and he met a priest there and he was baptised. And there's all cameras there and the reporters were there and they put him into the newspaper and said that Jehovah became a Orthodox, etc., etc. And he came back to Australia and he was going to all these different houses showing his video. And he wanted us to look at one part, that when the priest was doing the exorcisms, because they do exorcism the priest, during the baptism, he says, listen here, and you'll hear it. And I did hear it. I don't know what it was, but he said, listen to it. And I said, yeah. And it was, and it was like, a, uh, like a scream. He goes, that's the demons. It's the demons coming out. Go, okay, interesting. So he was uh, doing that. So this ex-Jehovah witness now become orthodox, celebrity, newspapers in Greece, famous person. I had the 
privilege to have a famous person in my house. So he was sitting there on the couch, one foot over the other, and as I was talking, he was looking at me. He had like one eye open, one eye closed. At first I thought he was half blind, but it wasn't. <laughs> he was actually scrutinising me to listen. You know, you do like a one eye, one open, the kind of listening. And I ignored him because I got wrapped up in the talk and I was just talking, 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 and I just kind of didn't care about him anymore. But he continued with his one eye open, one eye closed. And later on, they left. Days later, I was at my home. I was a lay person, not a priest, lay person. Still teaching at the school. Ding dong. And who was it? It was him. And he walked in and he said to me, I rang up, I rang up your elder in Greece. Okay, okay, this, there was a priest, a nabbit that I knew, that he helped me a lot, and I used to ring him up, yes. And I rang him up and I told him that you can't do talks anymore. I go, really? And I went to Father so-and-so, and I went to that priest and all this type of stuff, he was getting all agitated. I said, and uh, why is that? He goes, because you're a heretic. I don't know where he got the heretic. He was speaking like that. You're a heretic. What did I say? Just tell me what I said so I know what I said. And he wouldn't tell me what I said. He just said, you're a heretic. So I heard that. But what did I say? He said to me, I spoke to that priest and your elders and this and that. So you're going to stop? I go, no, what for? Why should I stop? Because you said it. He goes, you've got to stop. You've got to stop. You've got to stop. Preach, you've got to stop doing talks. And I said to him, Look, because I was standing here, and then there was the room there, the door of my library. I had a dedicated room to my library, or my books there that I collected. And I said to him, Listen, Blackie, I said to him, <laughs> I, I didn't say the word Blackie, I'm saying it now. I'll, I'll come to that in a minute. So I said to him, listen, so-and-so. I was going to slip the name out, but I didn't want to say the name. I said, whatever I say in the talks, I say from whatever's in those books there. I just use those books and I say what's in there. And I had Lives of Saints, books like St John of Cronstand, and all these you know, books, but especially I had a lot of Lives of Saints in there. And these nice books, Russian books and elders and things like that. So I said to him, whatever I say, I just say whatever's in those books. And suddenly, he pointed towards the room. Too bad the people that listen to the CD can't see it, but I'll try to describe it. People said I'm quite descriptive and they get the image and they like it. So he pointed to the room and he goes, those books, those, he was shaking his hand and he was pointing, he goes, those books. Can you see now why I called him Blackie? So what, what is wrong with this man? He went possessed over the books. And what did this man here say? What did this demon here say? Another Blackie. What did he say? He said, those rags, those books. And he said that. And I said to him, look, I think it's time to go. So I walked into the door. And I was told in Melbourne, there's a lot of Greeks down there, they said, when I used to go and do talks down there, they go, you always put a cross on top of your door. So when the Jehovah Witnesses come, when they see the cross, they won't knock on the door because they get scared. They don't like it. 
I go, okay, so I had a cross up there. So as we were walking out, I said to him, maybe I shouldn't have said it, but I said to him, does the cross still bother you? Because you sure it haven't changed the way you're acting today. You still like, a, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they come and knock, knock, knock. They come again, they come again, again, and you don't want them, and they just keep on coming, they're like pests. That's how he was. Like he came to my house to tell me now not to do talks. Wow. And then I said to him, okay, look, off you go, because I get the hose on you. I'll use the hose and I'll, and I'll splash you out. And he left. And he went around everywhere. He's a heretic. He's a heretic. Wow. What was wrong with this man? I'll tell you what was wrong with him. He was still under the influence of demons. He hadn't left his heresy. Even if even he was baptised, St. Paisius talks about that, someone can still be baptised and they have to now fight against the demons. doesn't mean it's automatic holiness. You still have your passions and all. He was very, very proud, very dark, very, very dark. And I don't mean because he was dark of skin. He was dark spiritually. That's why I called him Blackie. Very dark. He was possessed. And he looked at the books, which were the lives of saints, and all those good books I told you, and he goes, those books shaking like a possessed person. That's possessed. That, that's truly possessed. Later on, I became a priest. He saw me at a house, didn't come near me. And later on, I don't think he's even in the church now. It's a good story, isn't it? It's scary, but that's true. I'll never forget it. Yeah, that's true. The demons hate those books, and that's the answer to my talk today. Why are the demons so afraid? We answered it. Because of the benefit. Because one cannot be saved without the lives of saints. He knows that. That's why he stops it. That's why hardly no one reads them. There's a majority of you here that don't read them as well. The poor abbot, unable any longer to keep silence, asked him, what is your greatest weapon against the monastics in these our times? And he answered, our whole concern at present is to keep monks and nuns away from spiritual occupations, especially prayer and the reading of those smoky books. The word smoky means... I thought about what does he mean by smoky books? I think he means stinky because they, the team is like they stink. And the other smoky is that even though they're not being used, like a fire, you know, a house burns down, the fire people come, they extinguish the fire, but you see the smoke. It's still deep inside the flames. There's still a light. It's lit. And he said even though the books are not being used, they're still got in them the fire, and they're smoking, and they bother us, etc. Why don't you spend, said the demon, more time taking care of your gardens and vineyards and your fishing and schools for the young boys of your hospitality, for all those good people who come here during the summer for the fresh air and pure water, satanic logic, see? Look at all these good people that come. You're helping them. You haven't got time to do prayers and stuff like that. You're doing such a good work. That's called satanic logic. 
The monastics who busy themselves in such activities are caught in our nets like flies in a spider web. The spider's gone. The fly that was flying around gets stuck on the spider web. That's it. He, he could be there trying to get untangled for hours and then the incy-wincy spider comes back and eats him. He's caught in the trap. And it's the same what he's saying about those monastics who busy themselves with all those activities, worldly things and all that, they're caught in our traps, in our spider's web, in our satanic traps. Until all these books have been either destroyed or have deteriorated with time, they've gone off, you know, fallen apart, we will have no peace. We will not rest until those books are gone. They are like arrows in our side. Arrows meaning it's like you're stabbing him with arrows. No sooner had the demon finished, than the simandron, that's the wooden plank, the board that they hit in the monasteries with a mallet, was struck for matins. The abbot came into the church and told the monks everything he had seen and heard. And he commanded that all these things be recorded. And that's how we got that life. It's very sad and very, very painful when you find out that Orthodox Christians do not read the lives of saints. It's actually tragic and disgusting. And it's true. When you do start reading, you will get attacked. If the lives of saints is not part of your daily diet, spiritual diet, you've got two diets. Food diet, which is important as well, but the most important is the soul, because the body's going to die. The, spiritual, the soul is important, the spiritual diet. And part of that diet is prayer, the mysteries, Holy Communion, Confession, etc. And the spiritual reading is a part of that diet. Now, as our doctor will tell us, for example, which one of the vitamins, vitamin A, B, C or D or E, which one of those, if you're lacking, has the most detrimental effect on a person's body? Which one's really important? I know they're all important, but when you're low in particularly one of them. Which one is it? A? B? I think... But which one hits you more? There's, I, I think that... Um, yeah. That's vitamin D. That's the sun one, isn't it? Yeah. It's the same as with spiritual reading. It's a very, very essential vitamin for your souls. And without that, you're going to have problems, deficiencies. Now, when you've got a vitamin D deficiency, we will find out that. What are some of the symptoms of vitamin D deficiency? What did you say before I didn't hear? In general, in general. Weakness. Infections. cholesterol, cancers, blood pressure, or because we didn't get enough sun. Osteoporosis too. 
that's when the bones become brittle, is it? Or from a vitamin D deficiency. It controls 1,000 genes. Okay. So what happens when we have a lives of saint deficiency? What happens? That's my job. You've done your job. You're the doctor. We've heard your vitamin D. Now I've got to go to my job. What happens when you have a deficiency with the lives of saints? There's also a lot of these vitamins control the brain. You can, you can go crazy. B12, for example. You actually go crazy. They've linked a lot of mental disorders to B vitamins. And that's why uh, B12, a lot of it comes from, especially meat and things like that. And that's why the vegetarians, they're out of it. Remember the joke the doctor said? Because I tell them, they can't just, they've got to have some animal product. And you say, look, there's something wrong with you. And they go, there's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> As they drag their feet walking out of the, the surgery. Then they come in again, probably in a wheelchair. You sure? You're that, I'm all right. So, lives of saints, deficiency, causes a lot of problems. Deception. Antichrist things, madnesses. Confusions with the proper way of living orthodox lives. People don't know how to live orthodox lives. How to do the commandments. This is the problem. And yet, we don't hear an emphasis on the lives of saints a lot of times. So what I'm going to do for the rest of the time, I didn't even get time to do all my lives that I prepared for. You have to do it next time. I was going to go through all these lives to teach. I think it's probably, probably better off not to. The next talk, I'm going to go through lives. And I'm going to, uh, with God's help, try to teach you how to read them. Now, the first book which I recommend, which is only a few pages every day, is the Prologue of Ocrid, two volumes set by St. Nikolai Velimirovich by Sebastian Press. It's 135 US dollars for the set. Now, Amazon sells it, but you're better off to try and find them from your orthodox bookstores. It's a new set. Now, it's pink. Volume 1 has 650 pages. Volume 2 has 704 pages. And they give little descriptions of the saints of the day and a consideration and a Bible quote, and St. Nicola explains it. This is a very, very good book, and especially for people who don't read much, people don't have much time, say, uh, and I would recommend that, that everyone should have the prologue. Most of you do, but a lot don't. Even when I was in Serbia at a monastery, and they used to read the prologue as part of their program every day. By the way, the lives of saints are read in Orthodox monasteries all over the world. They do spiritual writings too, but there's a big emphasis in the monasteries, both monastic males and females, of reading the lives of saints during trapeza. Trapeza means while they're reading. So while they're reading, no one's allowed to talk, and one of the monks or nuns stands on the side and reads spiritual writings, usually lives of saints, but also some teachings of the saints, etc. But big emphasis on the lives of saints. So this is good. Now, St. Nicholas sometimes does a page on one saint, or most of the time he does half a page. 
and he might have three, four saints on that day, and things like that. That's a very, very good book. The next one, which I highly recommend, that everyone should get, everyone. It's called the Synaxarian, The Lives of the Saints of the Orthodox Church. It's seven volumes. It's by High Monk Macarius of Simonopetra, and it's published by Holy Convent of the Annunciation of Our Lady Ormilia Halkidiki, Greece. Now, that's the, the Greek version, but the distributor in North America is Alexander Press, and, they, and they're in Canada. It's $340 US dollars for the US, or 410 Canadian dollars. Now, I did buy them a few years ago. Some people bought them and have never read them. So you don't want to read them, you want to disdain them. Why don't you bring them here and sell them to someone else that's interested? It's six volumes, two months each, and at the end there's a supplement with extra saints. In that book, he goes into more detail than Saint Nikolai. He can do three, four pages just on one saint, or he does half a page, but there's more detail. And I love reading that book. They're hardcover. They're around 550 pages each book. And the supplementary one's smaller, but the other ones are quite good. And I would advise for you to look up, if you're here in Australia, look up, I don't know if anyone sells them here, but it doesn't matter. You go and you order them from this place here, Alexander Press. If you're in America and Canada, well, you look it up on the internet there and buy them and read them and your life will change. I've got some people that say they read the prologue and then they read the other one as well, the Synaxarian by Higher Monk Macarius. They read both. A bit more time. They started only reading the prologue. They did that for a number of years until they trained themselves. They didn't go bang straight away, try and read all the thing, and then you just give up. They read that for a few years. And once it was part of their life and that became that they couldn't stop, they had to read the prologue every day. Then they moved on to the next one, and now they do both. Or if you haven't got time, you can do one of them, or you can do whatever you like. You can read some from there, some from there, whatever interests you, as long as you're dedicating some reading. Now, you dedicate time to spiritual reading every day and have it as part of your life. Like you clean your teeth, like you do other things that are rituals in your life, part of your life every day. Comb your hair, shave, put your clothes on, make sure you look nice. All those things, they take time. Have as part of your life the reading of the prologue and the Synaxarian or the prologue on its own and the Synaxarian. Sometimes it depends on you. Just dedicate 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, whatever you want and stick to it every day. And you will never regret it if you persist at it. You'll be attacked, you'll get knocked out, but persist and you'll become a new person like we read today. 
The third collection is called The Great Collection of the Lives of Saints by Saint Demetrius of Rostov. Now, this is a 12-volume set, but the publisher has only produced eight. The publisher is called Chrysostom Press. It's $33 each, or $237 for the eight. And each month has around um, 375 to 650 pages. Now, they have more details than the Macarius on some of the saints, but they mostly have a few per day. The other one, Elder Macarius's book, sorry, Father Macarius's book of Simon Petra, he's got more of a selection. He's got new martyrs, he's got um, Arabic saints, he's got this, he's got all different things, Romania, uh, much more in there. But this Saint Demetrius of Rostov does have some detailed ones, more than Father Macarius, for some of them. Then the fourth one, this one's the big one. I call them the telephone books. You'll see why. The Great Synaxaristis of the Orthodox Church, it's 14 volumes. 12 volumes from January to December. Then they have an extra book called the Triolion, which is the one that's used in the Orthodox Church it describes the Triodion period during Lent. And the other one's called the Pentecostarian, which is Easter up to Pentecost. They're very detailed. The set cost 770 American dollars. Books range from 650 pages to 1,400 pages. The majority of the books are over 1,000 pages. So that is like where well, I'm talking about thick, like that, some of them. Detail. They are according to Saint Nicodemus. And Saint Nicodemus got the lives of saints and put the majority of them in very much detail. The lives of saints are read every day in the Trappers, we said that already. They also have the feast days in those in those books, uh, January, for example, the baptism of Christ in December, the birth of Christ, the Domitian in August, the birth of the Mother of God in September. They have the fixed days, Transfiguration, 6th of August, etc., all those things. And the other one, the Triodion and the Pentecostarian, are what's called movable feast days because they are determined different every year. Lent starts differently. So those ones change every year. Then January to December is fixed. They're fixed, fixed days. So part of the lives of saints, the Synaxaria, are also the feast days of the fixed days. So for example, the Triodon has explanation of the prodigal son, the publican and Pharisee, all these Sundays before the Holy Week starts. Then they have also after Holy Week begins, Sunday of Orthodoxy, and they've got all the descriptions of the Holy Week. A lot of details, personally, I find it, I can, there's some parts I like, very good parts, but the, a lot of it I can't read because it's just too much detail. But it's still good to have because you get a lot out of it. You've got sections there, homilies, it's just very good. Then the Pentecostarian starts from Pascha, then it goes through explaining Pascha, Thomas Sunday, Merberas, Ascension, Pentecost, that's what it's got in that one. It's published by Holy Apostles Convent, Colorado. Now, people find this particular book 
difficult. It uses difficult words and old English words. So it just uses even difficult everyday words, but things that we don't know a lot of times. But they also use ancient, like, old English words. And they also use the these and the thous in the dialogue with the saints. Also, the lives of saints are in quite a lot of details. As I said, for example, the life of St George, which we just had the feast day a few days ago, just the life of St George is 83 pages. That is the full life, the official life of St George in detail. They also use footnotes a lot, these particular books, underneath footbooks, historical things, geographical things, everything. It's like an encyclopedia. For even some spiritual people have told me that they can't read these books because it's just too much detail. So some people just, their brains can't take too much detail like that. They just like to read the Simon Petra, things like that. They can't read too much. Their brains are just too much. Some of you might not be able to read a lot of it because, you know, your brains are fried, we say, stress, a lot of work, this and that. And um, they need a lot of details. However... Some people have told me that when they, they like to read the prologue and Simon Petra version of the Synaxarian, they read it, but then all of a sudden they might like a particular saint. They might become moved by that saint. And I go, I want to know more about this saint. That's not enough for me. And they bypass the temptations of the these and the vows. They bypass the temptation that they use big words. They bypass the temptation they use ancient English words as well. And they read the more detail because they want to. So you don't have to read these books like a novel. You read them when you want. They're your reference books. So you've got all these versions. I would probably say to you to buy the prologue, the Simon of Petra version, because it's got a lot of assortments of saints in there, new martyrs, etc., and the, if you're really educated and you, or you're a good reader and you want detail, you get the big one. You go for the big, you go for the big guns. And today there's so many dictionaries and thesauruses, the internet. People have got them on their phone dictionaries. It's just so easy. When I first came to the church, there wasn't hardly any lives of saints. I bought a set from America. And I noticed that he would have saints so-and-so, like, you know. And then this priest that was writing the life, he goes, and this saint is similar to Olivia Newton-John. Where's this coming from? Olivia Newton-John, Mahatma Gandhi. He was com com comparing the saints to these people. I didn't even know what... I said, this is no good. So what did I do? I burnt them. Got, got rid of them. That's it. I don't want to get someone else to read them and get get corrupted by them. He was like a worldly priest. There was hardly anything. But the Greeks had these things by an archimandrite called Archimandrite Halalambus Vasilopoulos. Same name as me, no relationship. Second name. Now, what I noticed was that he had these beautiful little thin lives of saints, cheap, so that a lot of people can get them. And he made it in a, such a simple language and he made it in a way that was interesting and would also make comments like, hey, like in our times, this. This was a spiritual person. It wasn't like the guy from America with the Livy Newton-John. But I didn't know much Greek. 
I couldn't read it properly. Even though it was simple, I couldn't read it. I knew some Greek letters because I taught maths, Omicron, few things like that, because I, in maths you use Greek letters. That's about it, but I didn't know how to read it. So what I did was I went to a Greek teacher and she taught me, and you know, had a little bit of reading that. Then she wanted to get into the grammar with the tos, tos and tons, you know, the Greeks know about that, all this grammar. And I said, I can't do that, I, I, I can't do that. Said, but you won't be able to write, I don't want to know how to write. I want to know how to read. That's it. That's what I'm interested in. And I left her after a while. And then I got the lives of saints. I ordered them from Greece. Or when I went, I bought them. And what I would do is when I would go to school, so from Marrickville where I lived, I would take the train. I had my car, but I wouldn't use the car purposely. Two reasons. One, I would fall asleep and it was dangerous. Then I used to nod off. And the second reason was, was I wanted to use my one hour all the way to Liverpool, because I was teaching up there, I wanted to use the one hour for my spiritual reading. So I would sit in the train, I'd get my life of saint out, and I had my Greek-English dictionary. No computers in those days, Greek-English dictionary. And then I would start to read the life and come across a word I didn't understand, look up the Greek word, okay, it means this, I'd get my pencil, and on top of the word I wrote the English word. And there was a lot of work. Sometimes I couldn't, I could take about 10 stations before I could get to the next page. Like 10 stations had passed. I only read one, one thing in the beginning. Because it was all a new language to me. And I didn't know much Greek. So I read, persisted, persisted, persisted. And before I knew it, I'd learnt a lot of Greek. And I was actually reading the lives of saints because there wasn't much in English. And if there was, they were written by worldly people and I didn't like that. So I read a lot of his books and he also had stuff on Masonism and magic and ecumenism and rotaries, clubs and uh, he went through a lot of things and I started reading those books too. That's how I um, learnt how to read Greek and I read the lives of saints. And later on I had my aim, I, if I ever become a priest or something, I really wish that I can produce lives of saints to produce them in English. And what I did was I noticed that in the magazines like Orthodox Word, which is established by Father Sephiram Rose, that's the best. Every issue they have lives of saints in there. Elders of Ukraine, Greece, Serbia, all these elders and eldresses subscribe to Orthodox Word from the Platina Monastery. That's that. I've got their magazine, I've got another magazine called Living Orthodoxy, which is from St. John of Kronstadt Press, and another magazine called Orthodox Life from Jordanville, the Russians. I wrote to all these people and I said, can I have your permission to reprint the lives of saints from your magazines? And bang, 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 three replies, yes. So what we did was, because we didn't use, have scanners in those days, I got people to learn how to touch type and we, and they typed up all these lives from these books. And we had to proofread them, etc. And I would I say for each volume, we're going to have an assortment. A martyr, a ascetic, um, a married saint. We used to try and use assortments. And those books are the 30 volumes we produced up the top. That was the first thing that I produced as a priest apart from the talks I used to do, was the lives of saints. And without knowing, look what we learned today, the importance of the lives of saints. 
My first talk, my proper first talk in CDs was The Lives of Saints. So I would urge you to really look at those. Now, if you're not a very strong reader, etc., the, the Colorado one will not be good for you. But if you are a pretty good reader, that's, an, that's, the, that's it. There's also, for those who are really not good readers at all, there's also the fifth one, Orthodox Christian Recorded Books, Father Nathan Williams. He actually does our editing for our CDs, the, the blurbs. And he's produced in MP3 and CD format. I think he's probably moving away from the CD formats. He's produced Lives of Saints, recorded feast days. He's even got prayers in there. For example, the life of St. George, 71 minutes. St. Skipper and Justina, 30 minutes. St. Catherine, 36 minutes. St. Sergio Rundinus, 45 minutes. St. Mary of Egypt, 50 minutes. And these he sells for 2 to $5 as MP3s. So people can get them, download them, and listen to them in the car, etc. And you don't have to read if, you, if you're not a strong reader. And the last thing tonight, I, I got up to section C, and the next part was doing the lives of saints to examine them. But I think it doesn't go. It's too late now anyway. I had all these saints, beautiful saints, that we were going to read tonight. But there's the last section is the introduction to the Simeon Petra version of the Lives of Saints in Manathos by the higher monk Macarius. And he says, if we live before the saints by attentively, attentively reading their lives each day as we walk in the spiritual garden of the Synaxarian, we will discover little by little those whom our hearts especially go out to. Meaning that when we read the Lives of Saints like we're in a spiritual garden, and like in a garden, you can choose different things, what you like, that flower, that fruit. He says the same as the lives of saints. It's like you're in a garden, a fragrant garden, and you're picking from the saints the ones that you like, the ones that you're attracted to. They will become our close friends in whom we love to confide our joys, our sorrows, whose lives we love to read time and again, as well as to chant their troparia and to venerate their icons. These close friends will be the guides of our choice and a great comfort to us along the straight and narrow way that leads to Christ. So we need to establish relationships with the saints as friends our friends, that help us. You feel sad, turn to the saints. Someone who you like, you, someone that might be your, your patron saint, the one that you were baptised, or if you're Serbian, Slava saints, you might turn to them. You might turn to uh, a saint that you just read in the Synaxarian, someone that you like, an unknown saint, but you liked it. You might not even have his icon or her icon. And you treat them as your friends and you ask them to help you. You turn to them if you're parents. You can turn to them and say, help me with my children. My son's not listening to me. He's become really bad. I'm scared he might be on drugs. Help me. Pray for him. 
Enlighten him. Enlighten my daughter. Pray for my husband. Pray for my wife. Tell me what to do. See, we talk to them. That's the relationship we need to have. In the beginning, I'll tell you a secret that when I used to read Lives of the Saints, if they were unknown, I never heard of them, I used to kind of avoid them sometimes. I'd say, oh, I'd rather read ones that I know. And I used to avoid them a little bit. But after, I said, uh, no, I'm going to read these. And then when I started reading them, I started noticing, like there might have been a, 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 a saint from Britain, a British saint, never heard of them. Or Saint so-and-so from Luxembourg. or so. I never heard of those people. Who are they? But I read them. I go, these are good. These, I can get things out of this. I might not understand all the things about the kingdoms in those days, the kingdom of Mercer, all, all these things. Just don't worry about it. Just pass by it. Even I, sometimes I couldn't even pronounce the name of the saint because it was that difficult and I couldn't read it. Just like Russians can't pronounce Greek names and Greek, like even when Helen just came, she goes... I read something about the abbot of Simon Petra. You know, she couldn't say the word, because it was Greek way. And then when I talk to her about something Russian, I can't pronounce it either. So I find it difficult. Does it matter? We just read. And they talk about places in there. And the saint went to this place and then talked to this king during this time and this time. Sometimes I can't follow. I don't know British history. I just leave, I just get the main part that I can and get benefit from it. There are saints now for the children, beautiful from Potamitis, is that how you say it? Potamitis publications. They have produced hundreds of little booklets on the lives of the saints that, that children can read. I even tell adults to read them if they don't know much. Do you remember a story I said to you years ago that when I came to the church, I had some relatives and they were really religious, an auntie, cousin, and I used to go and visit them because they talked about religious things and I was interested in that. Left all my friends, old friends, gone with the wind. So I used to go down there sometimes and the other people were there sometimes, they used to talk spiritual things. And they'll be talking, talking about the saints with such emotion, with such... Uh, faith and I said um, I don't have that I don't look at it like that I can't I didn't really not that I didn't believe but I never had that faith to the extent that they did and talking about the saints as if they were their friends and talking about them as if they talked to them and talk about they prayed to them and, and I never had that because I just came out of a worldly life they've been in the church for years and in a way, I was jealous, but not good jealousy, not a, not a bad jealousy. I, go, oh, I wish I could be like that. I wonder if I ever will be like that. I wonder if I ever will have that enthusiasm for the saints and have them as part of my life like, like they do. And then after a few years reading the lives in the church, going to feast days of the saints, praying in front of their icons, etc., Suddenly one day I realised, oh, I have it. I've got that now. I've got what they had. I've got the faith in the saints. I mean, still a lack, but there's something there better than before. 
So, are there any questions? I avoid the questions sometimes. People go off topic and it spoils the talk. I want to stay on the, the topic. What about the audio books? Sorry? What about audio books? Not just books, audio books. Are you uh, welcome if you are listening to audio books, not just reading them? Audio. Yes, yeah, some people like, don't have time, so they listen to it in the car. Some people like to listen to it in the train, on transport. Some people get more out of audio. That's just that's the way they are. You know, they, they've got that. Well, yes, um, if they're getting benefit from that spiritually, then obviously that's good. Some people like to do both. Some people only like to read. Some people only listen to audios because they're not very good readers or something like that. There's all different reasons for people to... Um, Choose what they choose. What about praying? Audio prayers or just praying reading the book? It's different from the book. Well, I think the prayers that are recorded, one good thing about it is that you can actually learn how to pronounce the words. But obviously, the way to do it is you've got to do your own prayers and learn how to read the prayers and do it yourself because that's the thing. But if, for example... At times, not all the time, at times you're tired or something like that and you feel like putting some prayers on, as long as you're not doing kitchen things and other things. When we do prayers at home, we don't read them while you're washing dishes. It's very impious, impious in other words. So we should uh, read them in a holy way, a solemn way a respectful way, or if you're going to listen to them. Listen to them properly. But I still think that people should learn to do prostrations, they should learn to do a bit of prayer rope, they should learn to do bows, they should learn to do their cross while they're praying, things like that, and use these things on the side at times. But I think it's more powerful when we read the prayers ourselves and we are concentrating, things like that. If I heard those things, I would like to do because I wasn't brought up in an English parish, so therefore I don't know how, even how to pronounce a lot of words. I don't know. I make mistakes all the time because I don't know. I've never I've, a lot of these words I've never heard of. They weren't they weren't part of my life. So those are things like that. People make efforts to learn French. People make efforts to learn other languages. The lives of saints is a language. It's like you're learning a language. And you need to make effort like you would when you learn a language. Now, French, I don't understand why would you want to learn French? Or why would a Greek want to learn Russian? Or a Russian want to learn Greek? I don't know. That's, um, if you've got time and it's part of your job, or you're a scholar or something like that, I can understand. But some people will say, oh, I just feel like learning... Uh, French. And I say to them, I know French. Croissant. Oui, oui, things like that. I know French too, but that's about it. That's all I'm interested in. I don't want one more. Why? I haven't got time. I want to learn the lives of saints. I want to read the lives of saints. I haven't got time to there to go and learn that. And as much as you have to put in effort to learn a language, the lives of saints is like you're learning a language. 
there's historical things in there you've got to get used to. There's periods in there like um, when the Mongols invaded Russia, the Tatars, I don't even know. Are they different? Are they the same? I think they're the same. There's other historical things of periods where there was heresy, invasions, other things, all these things. As you read the lives of saints and you look it up, you start to learn more. The language, you're going to use dictionaries. You have to learn, you have to use dictionaries. When I make a life of saint for you, when I produce one to read to you, I'm changing a lot of words. I use the thesaurus because the word that they're using is either old-fashioned or it's not used and people get the wrong idea. It might be a word that's... It's not, it's not going to put the mean across. So I go to the thesaurus, synonyms, and I look up all these different words. Sometimes I might put the original words so I can teach you what is the word, and in brackets I put three, four different words from the thesaurus. Or I might just replace it because it's tiring every minute saying... This is the word that they use, but I've used this word, so I don't want to break the flow. But I do a little bit so that you can get used to it, so that when you read the lives of saints, and because you've looked up these words, you will become familiar with them. It is another language, and it needs effort. But if you, if you persist after some years... You'd be surprised. You'd go, say, wow, how much do I know on these things? How much benefit am I getting? Who the emperor is and who's Arius and who's Theodore Studite and what heresy was he fighting and what century was he? Then you've got lives that were connected during the German times, like I read in one of the lives in Simon or Petra version that there was a place of Saint Nicholas or something, some monastery in, in Cairo, Egypt, somewhere like that, I can't remember now, Libya. And um, it says there that Rommel, who was a German general, I think was approaching, if I remember, I can't remember everything, approaching to attack them, and the saint got rid of them. That was the Second World War. Even Metropolitan Augustine, he dealt with the Germans. He had to deal with them because they were going to kill some Christians and he got in their way and he said, stop. And he didn't get killed. And I think he went to some military commander and somehow talked to them and all these things. There's all periods in communism and in, in, in Turkish times and all these things. It's like a whole new world. You persist and you will learn. One life that I read the other night, it said that the saint would stand on top of the mountain and when the German planes would come past, he would cross them. But why is he crossing the enemy? Why is he crossing the enemy? I thought to myself, maybe he had so much love, he was also praying for the enemy. Or perhaps he was crossing them so that when they drop their bombs, they miss. They don't, do, they don't kill people. Then we go back to the first centuries when the Christians had been fed to the lions. A whole new world. University, as it says. Higher than university. History. 
geography, you learn all these different places, like they've named places, you've got to go to the internet and says that place is now that place. Because I like to get sometimes pictures, like I don't know Russia well, so they say that, they might say Ufa, Ufa, whatever that is. E -E -U -E, how do you say it? Ufa? E -E U-M? Or whatever. I can't even say it. But I don't know, where is that? I like to get things, like when they mention things in Greece, I've got an idea, but I don't understand Russian geography. Even I came first in geography in year 10, and one of the topics was Russia, uh, but I forgot it all. So much for the school system. I also did Japan, I came first in geography, and I don't even know, I think there's two islands, and Tokyo's the capital. That's about all, that's all I know. That's pretty good, isn't it? I know a lot, don't I? So, then there's St. Nikolai of Japan. He's a Russian that went and made all the Japanese into Orthodox. A beautiful history, beautiful life. And talks about in there, how did he handle when Russia was at war in, with Japan back in the 19th century, I don't know when it was, and he was, they were at war. He had Japanese priests who had to be loyal to the emperor of Japan, and then he was from Russia. And how can he go and pray for victory of the Japanese against the Russians? And the Japanese were watching to see how's he going to do this. So they wanted to pounce on him and say, you're going against us. So he said to his clergy and to the Japanese Orthodox, he says, look, you're Japanese and you, your country's Japan. So what you're going to do, you pray for Japan and I will pray for Russia. Beautiful explanation. So many things we learn when we read the lives of saints. gives answers to a lot of the things. As you'll notice next time, God willing, if I do it, I had seven lives for you. I'm going, now that we've finished all the introductions, I'm going to probably have around ten lives I'm going to read to you, and you're going to see all the benefits you're going to get from listening to those lives. So, I think that's it. And let's all stand up. The Kukudia can do the prayer, please. did today 20, 25 pages and I was short 35. So I had another 35 pages to go today. But I thought it was better to do it slowly, the beginning, and the next time we'll do the actual lives. We've got rid of the introductions now, all that type of thing. I think we've established that the lives of saints are important, without a doubt. Without them, you can't be saved. And now we move on to the lives of saints to learn a new language. Not French, not other thing. The language of the lives of saints. 
Χριστός ανέστη εκ νεκρών θανάτων, θανάτων πατήσας και της εν της δημιουργής ζωής χαρισάμελος. Οκ. Okay.